0: go in three two one here we are tonight is a very special edition of the jeremy white podcast alongside rock talk with mitch lafon this is so weird usually i'm in the studio and stuff it's a casual fireside chat tonight with one of the most legendary guys of the road he's listen he's held every single guitar that you could possibly imagine for some of the biggest names in showbiz and we're going to get into the history we'll talk all about that stuff but this man is just full of knowledge he's like the encyclopedia of being on the road so or are very and slow, guitars
1: slow. and guitars the encyclopedia i mean you know he builds, Dude.
0: Builds. Dude. Yeah. it's nuts everybody th- there's tom weber everybody say hi what's up tom hi everybody <laughs> good, to be with
1: you. good day tom yeah and we'll get into that because uh, i've been reading up on you and checking oh. the facts and you started at 14 taking yeah. an old gibson guitar and fixing it and then you went to gibson they went yeah, it's actually pretty good.
2: <laughs> yeah. Nice job. It was uh, it was quite. Uh, that was the moment that changed my life. You know that it was kind of kind of scary because when we took it to, took it to Gibson, my my father and I, uh, old guy comes out. He's literally wearing a straw hat and a string tie, like a bolo tie, and the the clasp on it was a pedal steel. And nice. he's looking the guitar over, and he literally puts the thing over his knee and and gives it a good shove like he's trying to break it again trying to prove the uh, kids
1: a a fake right going yeah all right go ahead
2: and i'm 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 about ready to have a heart attack at 14 years old because my you know i'd put so much work into this thing it was a it was a gibson sg and it'd been broken in four pieces when i found it in a yard sale and glued it all back together painted it black inlaid a bunch of uh um, mother of pearl and abalone flowers and vines around one uh, one edge of it and this guy's got it over his knee trying to see if it's going to snap in half like and that's really just mean you know when you, you're you got a 14 year old yeah but some
1: you know listen that one that must have been back what like in the 60s or 50s it, you know they, they used to teach kid lessons right you know you have oh, to teach yeah. them a lesson oh
2: yeah oh and <laughs> I, I i learned a lot I you know, Jeremy's I from
1: the team. soft marshmallow thing where everybody gets a participation trophy. We're from that old school where they tried to teach a shit. You actually
2: you know? have to do something.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you have to prove your work. So. Hey, but before we get on to uh, to the to the GoFundMe and, and all the uh, the Van Halen stuff, just real quick, where did you learn that? Because at fourteen, uh, listen, I, I put baseball cards in my spokes and I called it, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> engineering. So, there you so, go. So, so where did you learn to rebuild a guitar? I mean, you didn't just pick it up and go. All right, I'm just gonna go. I mean, was your dad in, into technology?
2: Well, my uh, my father was an aerospace engineer. Um, he was not a woodworker of any kind. So, you know, the the guitar end of it ended up being that was up to me. Um, I started playing guitar when I was. Oh, I think I, you know, i got my first guitar guitar when I was five. And, uh, I think I'm losing your, I think I'm losing your, your. No, we're still here. I got you. Yeah. I didn't have audio there for a second. Oh, it's because
1: we both muted our audio so that we let you have the floor.
2: There we Ah,
0: go. Yeah. I see. It's it's called,
1: it's called respect.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Speaking no, of, no, hold on, no, uh, Greg. Greg Rule just
1: joined the. Um, oh, bring in Greg for a second,
0: Greg. Oh, Greg, for,
1: yeah. bring in Greg. Hold on, and oh, then no. we're gonna we're gonna get this uh, we're gonna get this going here. Here, look at that.
0: There we go, look ladies and
1: gentlemen. Greg Rule, uh, okay, audio. I don't, I don't
3: see
1: him. He's coming. He's, he's coming. coming. Hold on, Greg isn't. Oh, Greg did not connect to audio. Greg, are you there?
0: Greg, don't you aren't you? Don't you run playback for a living? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: hold on he's his, his your audio is on mute greg
0: oh. hello,
1: one hello two, one, two. there you go
0: hey! <laughs>
1: so, hey, so we've got uh two uh, do we just call you roadies is that the, is that the proper term or is that
0: uh yeah is that like uh derogatory we call them entertainment
1: that- technicians uh formerly with van halen greg of course with a foreigner uh bonjour greg bonjour tom i'll let you two say hello to each other since it's been a while
2: greg tom weber here how are you my brother
4: tom good to see you man uh uh, yeah good to see you tom been a while five five years five and a half years
2: yeah no doubt Uh, no doubt too damn long
1: yeah oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. So so here, since, since we got both of you here, because there is a sort of serious problem when we talk about save the stages and this and that, we're, we're very focused on the venues. We're very focused on the businesses. We're even somewhat focused on the artists. We're not focused on you. So we're, <laughs> we're not. And that's not—I mean, it's not my fault—but I mean, the industry keeps talking about let's save this building and let's save that building and let's save this bar owner and let's save flight that bar owner.
0: The poor flight attendants. Oh, the airlines—they're going—they're going bankrupt.
1: But but they're not talking about you guys. Um, let's let's just get into that. What what is the situation? You know, you, you didn't get paid for a year. Are you eligible for for unemployment insurance or employment insurance, as we call it in Canada? Are you eligible for? any kind of financial aid?
2: In most cases, no. Um, you know, we were coming off of that. The, you kind of want to take a look at, at what we do for a living as mm-hmm. seasonal work for some. Um, there are those that are fortunate enough to work, you know, end to end to end, you know, one tour to another. Right. Um, but there's a lot of guys that, you know, when the concert season is over, they go home and they try to figure out how to make the money last. Right, and you know, there, there's been a big. At, at one point in time, we were we were all 1099s uh, you know, employees, self-employed contractors, and then uh, a number of years ago, there was a big push to make everybody employees. Well, that's great when it comes time for unemployment, but you know, you get to the end of a season. And you're starting to work your way through the first part of the next year and looking forward to getting back to rehearsal and getting shows on the road. So you've been on unemployment at that point in time in a lot of cases. So when this whole thing hit, a lot of guys were at the end of their eligibility for unemployment. Okay. And, you know, you start talking about, well, the, the PPP loans and the PUA and the this and the that and the other thing. Well, you know, most of us aren't eligible for any of that kind of thing. And, you know, we're kind of we're hung out to dry uh, at this point. And I I said to somebody uh, uh, just the other day that we spend we spend our lives, you know, we dress in black and we we blend into the dark places on the stage so that people don't see us unless it's absolutely necessary. And I think the byproduct of that is the idea that a lot of people don't even realize that we exist. They come to a show and they have a great time and they go home and they talk about how much fun they had all the way home, but they really don't know how the show gets to be a show and what happens, you know, what happens when it's over. Uh, It's organized chaos, getting everything back in trucks and getting to the next show the next day. And most people don't realize that. And if they don't know that we exist, how would they know that we're in this situation? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's happening to hundreds of thousands of people in this country uh, and, and millions around the world. You know, we're unrecognized and, and uh, um, you know, just- yeah, just, just, to, just ignore, and, and
1: yeah. Greg, just for you for a second, you're, you've been lucky enough to be in an organization like Foreigner where they have had merch sales and other stuff where they've tried. Now, I don't know how successful it's been. I don't know how, you know, but they've tried at least.
4: Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, as Tom was saying, most people out on the road, you're going from project to project. I mean, that was the, the start of my career and it's feast or famine. You'll have an amazing tour with an artist and then it all shuts down. Uh, and then you're scrambling what comes next. And if you're lucky, maybe something comes quickly. Other times you're waiting for months for the next project and it's feast or famine. Uh, a few people are lucky to find bands like, such as Foreigner that uh, are established enough to where they're, I equate it to like a sports franchise. They have a season. They have a goal every year of doing a set number of shows. They take their holidays off, etc. cetera. And it's a little bit of a different category. A lot of the classic rockers uh, fall into that now, thankfully, but I would say that's a, a slim percentage of most touring people that are out there just um, going from project to project, living from paycheck to paycheck. Uh, the foreigner camp was an amazing story indeed. They uh, they had a crew merch campaign, which was awesome. Um, you know, I'm. How do I say it's a drop in the bucket as, as far as um, what we what a year. looks Right. Like yeah. Eventually. I mean, but at least but, they're
1: trying because others just they either yeah. haven't tried or they just they just can't. It's, it's just it's not feasible because they're not at oh, that level.
4: Absolutely. And, you know, we're all extremely grateful and, and really touched by the campaign and uh, every little dollar and effort uh, helps. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And even if they're just selling, you know, a couple of limited edition t-shirts, you know, it's the same, like, you know, Def Leppard did the same thing for their crew. They were actually selling, you know, mock-up local crew 2020 shirts from the stadium tour. And I bought a couple, I gave Mitch one of them. And I was like, you know it's kind of cool. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, there's no way with the amount of t-shirts that they're selling could ever make up for what the crew would actually be losing from that tour. There's no way. So either way, you're hurting. Yeah, Yeah, that's (laughs) true.
1: And and uh, so let, let me just get to to you, Tom, for a second. You've got this GoFundMe uh, set up. What is the actual page here? Because we'll 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 display it after that. But but it's GoFundMe forward slash what?
2: You got me. I, okay, well I'll, I'll go I find it. I'm gonna pull it up I right didn't now. Set Hold it on. Up. It was no. uh, it was set up for me by a lady named Sandy Espinosa. Um, we'll
1: fi- we'll find it. So so let just talk to me about that story because you had. Uh, well, you told me previously you had bought all this gear, like oh, like fifty thousand dollars worth of gear, in anticipation of going out with Reba McIntyre, and I believe Poison.
2: Right, and then okay. the, my my schedule for my schedule for twenty twenty was going to be the the busiest schedule that I'd ever had. Um, literally going from. Um, the last day of the, the first leg of Ariba tour into the Motley Crude Def Leppard Poison Stadium tour the very next day. Well, you can't send an 800 pound workbox full of tools overnight to another tour. And on that, on that tour, there were supposed to be the stadium dates and then Poison had headline shows, you know, where the gear may or may not get back. So I basically had to duplicate um, with all the things that were going on for the year, I was going to be home a month and a half this year or last year and had to have enough tools to go around. So, you know, I thought I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a huge year. Uh, it's all written in stone. Everybody's on board. I can go ahead and do this. So I went and spent the money on road cases and multiple tools and, you know, it's I've got forty-six, forty-seven thousand dollars worth of road cases and tools that I bought for 2020. And oh my I god, mean,
0: that is a lot of gear.
2: It's really not. It's no. expensive to be, you know, it's expensive to to have your own tools and be a, a, a tech, you know. Yeah. And That's
1: it's the stadium the, tour, it's not, it's not the whatever LA Guns Bar tour. You know, but, no offense, you know,
2: by the way. <laughs> it's it's serious business when you know when you get to a point like uh, where where Greg and I are. Uh, it's it's very flattering to know that people depend on you to be able to do whatever needs to be done, but it requires the ability and the tooling to be able to accomplish what they expect. And I'm kind of known for having like. My, my workbox is affectionately known as Walmart, because there's so <laughs> anything that you could possibly want is in there for me to do my job. And, I've you know, I had to I had to put together, you know, three complete different setups this year. And I thought I'll bite the bullet. I mean, you know, I'm making more than enough money this year. Everything's going to be good. Sure. We're coming off of a slow year in 2019. Um, but. I had the money to put into it, figuring I'd get it back and then COVID hit. You know, I'm I'm two and a half weeks into rehearsal with Reba McIntyre and looking at a banner year and the next day we go home. And now I've got all of these tools and stuff and it's like, okay, that's just an example of one thing that's put me behind the eight ball. You know, I had uh, a couple of years ago for 26 years previous, I had one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, guitar repair facility in the United States. And after 26 years in the building, they sold the building. The new landlords were like, you know, we, we want to, we, we're not gonna change your rent. We do not want you to leave, you know, maybe we can invest in what you're doing and uh, uh, you can come home and live your life, uh, you know, and, and live your dream in this shop. And that lasted until 48 hours after they took possession of the building and sent me the, the 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 only concrete thing they sent me the first email saying you've got 30 days to go from 17 and a half thousand square feet down to 4000 square feet what and i the had
0: fuck
2: well there's that yeah that's kind of what i thought but i had a week and a half before i had to be in japan with journey at the time and uh, couldn't sell couldn't move i moved all of the very most important stuff into the 4,000 square feet and donated the rest to charity. Um, You know, we watched, we watched 18 tractor trailers full of my stuff go to charity. And I thought, okay, now I get on an airplane and I go do a month in in Asia come back. And the next day I get an email saying, well, you know, we've decided that that 4,000 square feet is now worth $9,000 a month. And you know, considering you're the only uh, you're the only tenant left in the forty four thousand square foot building, you get to pay all the building maintenance too, which what? How, how yeah. th- dude? Tom, well, this what is if- this is like some Judge Judy shit right here. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know that include that includes the gas bill, which for the boiler for a forty four thousand square foot building in January, that bill was thirty six thousand dollars, and they expect me to pay that. You know. Basically, what they were trying to do was to force me into an eviction situation so that they could just take everything that I own. And I got the guy to admit it. You know, it's like we, you know, after that, I kept the very best stuff and put it in storage spaces where I could find them. We scrapped 10 and a half tons of machinery and and fixtures. And I watched eight 20 yard dumpsters of my personal property go to a landfill because there's no place to put it, you know. And it's, it is what it is. You know, oh. I, I, I realize that I don't need all that stuff, but, you know, we used to, at one point in time, my shop was the BC Rich Handmade Shop. You know, we could build large numbers of high quality guitars in there. And that's what I had been building the place to be, you know, for 26 years. So I had some place to come home to. Now I don't, and now I'm home. And I've just been informed that one of the buildings that I store things in has been sold as well. So now I'm looking down the barrel of having to move, you know, 4,000 square feet of stuff out of that building with zero money coming in the door. Right. And and,
1: and you that, were telling me that, according to you, you don't think we're going to see tours of this nature till 2024, you said. Not even 2022, you said 2024 to me.
2: Yeah. The, the, the people that I've been talking with, um, we pretty much come to the, you know, the concept. The concept, as we understand it, is there isn't going to be a tour until there's an insurance company that's willing to underwrite one.
1: Right. Because um, tour insurance is a major part of getting oh shows God. on the road. Well, yeah. hold on,
0: Tom, Tom, let me ask you this. You know, we're, we're talking about tour insurance and stuff. When a tour gets booked like that, don't they take into consideration, you know, like, is the event that, you know, a show gets canceled or, you know, an act of God preventing something from going on. Like, wouldn't that tour insurance take care of you guys?
2: Well,
1: before COVID, but now they're going to rewrite them. That's the difference, though.
2: Right. See, the problem that you have here, it isn't like somebody, it isn't like somebody that goes to a concert, maybe trips and sprains their ankle. Mm -hmm. Well, it's
1: known versus unknown. And before it's unknown, and now this is known. COVID is known.
2: So insurance companies are like, if you have 25,000 people you know, at, an, at an outdoor venue and somebody coughs, you know, nobody's gonna be able to prove where they got COVID. But if you have 25,000 people at, at a venue and 5,000 of them get sick the next week and mm-hmm. they all decide to sue the production, it doesn't matter if they win because unless it's a class action lawsuit, you're gonna have 5,000 people sue you and you have to go to court Or you have to be represented in court every single time five thousand times yeah you're now looking at attorney fees that will just wipe out anything that you could possibly make so no insurance company is going to going to underwrite one of these things until there's a proven vaccine yeah how long you know we have a we have uh, several vaccines but the proof that it works it could be 2 years or more before there's there's enough evidence for an insurance to comp- a company to say okay we're comfortable with this you know live entertainment can can be yeah. a thing again you well, know we'll all we'll all be dead by then you know i'm going to be standing I'll, I'll be standing on a street corner with a sign that says we'll tune guitars for food
1: Right. Well, he he's 26. He'll be around. But the, the other three, may, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, listen, I, want, I want to
0: talk about I want to talk about the 2015 Van Halen tour that you guys did together. But before we get there, so it's Tom Weber needs help to save his home. That's the true page. So it's them. It. So it's very easy to find just gofundme.com and type in Tom Weber needs help to save his home. And you'll find it up there. It's also been posted in a bunch of uh, Van Halen Facebook, Facebook, groups, Facebook right. groups and it's in like the EVH gear, uh, Ernie ball music, man, PV Wolfgang, uh, Facebook group. They're all in there. So yeah, yeah. we'll, yeah, we'll has, get and, that. We'll get that posted. We'll get the, we'll get that all posted up there too. So, but awesome. you know, Greg and Tom, you guys work together and did you guys tour like doing Van Halen stuff? Before the 2015 tour, or was that like the the first tour you guys worked together on, or have you guys toured together before?
1: Yeah, have you done Reba
2: McIntyre no. or yeah, Bob you, Seger like, together,
0: together, or like?
2: No, that that was the first first time that Greg and I were in the in the same same camp together, and, and doggone it, I wish we could do it again
3: because
2: yeah, he, he he's he's a lot of fun for a quiet guy. You
0: know? <laughs> well, he's on mute right now, and he he it looks like a mime laughing. <laughs>
2: so maybe that's why i think he's quiet he's on mute all the time yeah
0: so greg let me ask you this you know so your main job on that 2015 van halen tour was you know as the playback engineer basically right so what does that entail like do you have to go to rehearsals and you dial in you know like uh like are you working you know with the band and figuring out okay i'm gonna trigger you know like the track here because you know, I want to talk. Were you were you there when that whole like screw up happened with the sample rate of the keyboard in like 2008 or whatever it was?
2: Tom, oh, you were there. Oh yeah. All right. Hold okay. on. Let's hear. Let's hear that. Okay. It's not the keyboard sample rate. Oh. Okay. It has nothing to do with the keyboards. Okay? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Do I tell. Haven't been, I haven't been able to address this because mm-hmm. it's a sore spot for Ed. Okay. Oh. So. Basically, what we have here is a situation where I don't remember where we were, uh, Greensboro, maybe uh, somewhere like that, something like that. And uh, during the guitar solo, which was a couple of songs before the infamous incident, Mm -hmm. um, Ed loves to make noises with the guitar. We all know that you know, anybody that's been to a Van Halen show and been there for the the guitar solo knows that you're liable to hear any unearthly sound that Ed can make with a guitar yeah so at one point he took the guitar and literally jammed the headstock of the neck into the stage several times
0: I remember him doing that on a bunch of a bunch of dates because he was okay. testing out he was testing out the Wolfgang like the new Wolfgang on that tour right, right? So in Montreal, I remember seeing him, he was there, like, you know, he had the thing and he was almost like bang it, like, you know, like into the stage. Right, right. Like a shovel.
2: Normally, normally, if there was a situation where the guitar was out of tune, obviously, my job is to be ready for him with another guitar, Mm -hmm. which I was because Ed's right hand guy, Matt Bruck and I were in guitar world. And it's like, oh, crap. He's knocked the guitar out of tune. Well, he fine tunes it some, you know, and and gets back into playing and I'm holding, I'm holding another guitar over my head so that he can see it. And, and he's waving it off mm. as like, okay, well, you know, he's still playing the solo. He's fine tuned. It's passable. Okay. Well, they go right from, they go right from that into ain't talking about love. That's the next song on the set list. And Wolfgang starts playing and realizes that he's not in tune with the guitar. So he retunes a little bit. The next couple oh, songs. yep. Yeah, so they're in tune. You have guitar yeah. and bass in tune. So they play ain't talking about love and Panama. And then typically the band at the end of the show, they come off stage for, for a minute. I switch guitars with Ed and they go back on for the encore, which is jump that mm-hmm. night they didn't come off stage. They went around the corner of, the, of the, uh, the, we had what we called the phone booth on stage left, the, the big ego ramp that went up around to this big cabinet that nobody ever used for anything. Uh. But they went around the side of that and Ed didn't come off the stage to get another guitar. Oh. So now you, have, now you have Wolfgang on his bass and Ed with his out of tune guitar on a keyboard song that is in tune. So, and Ed doesn't, didn't have keyboards in his monitor mix. So he didn't hear that oh. he was on a tune. So you, that's where that all went. Oh, and of course, man. the funniest part about it was a couple, he didn't know that that had happened until a couple of weeks later when somebody was at the venue and showed him the video of it. So I got, I got called to the dressing room full of people. And he said, you handed me an out of tune guitar. No, I didn't. I said, if if you'll, if you'll recall, I said, you, you banged the headstock of the guitar into the stage that night several times, and then you didn't come off the stage to get the, the guitar at the end of the show for the encore. Uh, and he said, "Oh, that wouldn't make any difference." And he proceeded; he had the guitar around his neck, and he proceeded to jam it into the dressing room floor, and and it comes back up, and you know, in front of a room full of people, it comes back up, and it's like, yeah, it's way out of tune. Oh man! <laughs> Put both ends, I said, "Just saying," and that's the last I ever heard of it. So wow, we made, we made at that point. I I made. uh, I made the suggestion that every night, being that, that Jump was the most iconic radio song that, that Van Halen had, and that the, the Frankenstein guitar was the most iconic guitar of that era for him, that we should switch to that guitar every night for the encore. Right. And that's it, the way it went every night from that night forward. And- wow, that's, a, that's such an incredible story. Well, it's you know what's
4: amazing guys about that whole thing that yeah. kind of went that situation went viral mm-hmm. in the music industry anyway yep. if anyone yeah. had taken the time to just compare youtube videos from that tour i think that was like you said tom greensboro mm-hmm. yeah you up that night on youtube and watch a show the week earlier the week after it's the keyboards are the same tuning
0: it's the same keyboard yeah even if you go to the night but the next night it would have been the same Uh, thing. the
4: sample rate never changed and so uh, that's a pretty sad story
2: yeah and then and the 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 part for me is you know i couldn't draw attention to what actually happened so forever and ever and ever it was either it was either the keyboard guy or me Mm -hmm. one of us one of us screwed up according to what everybody else said. And yeah. nobody else, nobody came out. I couldn't come out and say anything about what actually happened until right now. So but I'm it's surprised like
0: surprised that you know nobody in the moment, like, you know, got on like the talk back I was like, guys, okay, we gotta stop, we gotta stop. There's something going on, something going on. Like, you know, it just came out, like just bring it to a halt and keep going. Like the band just powered through it like as if
4: nothing was wrong.
1: That's what yeah. you do in shows. You just
4: you, guess, you work, yeah. you play, you play through
1: mistakes because they happen all the
2: time. I, I the roll band there. Just you know and through. that's that's yeah. that's where the importance of of your monitor mix comes in because ed had no way of knowing as yeah. loud as his guitar is where he was standing at the time there would have been no way that he would have heard the the, the, the keyboard being in a different tune
0: but even wolf you know being on bass like and if he t- tuned down to match ed like wouldn't have he heard in the, in, his, in his in-ears like oh shit I even I'm out of tune with the keyboard like
2: they did, they don't did, they didn't use in-ears. Oh, on that tour they didn't have any? Alex was the only one with in-ears on that tour. See the yeah. th- the thing about it was for the last song Wolfgang made his bass change and probably anticipated that Ed was going to make a guitar change as well and everything would be back to normal. Oh, yeah, okay. Keyboard song. And it didn't quite happen that way. Oh, so,
0: that's incredible. All right, so Greg, then, Greg, were you running the keyboard that night? The
1: G- no, that's 2008. So he didn't get on for another seven years. Yeah. But, but the one story I want to hear, Greg, you talk about the insects. This, uh, in, 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 <laughs> tell, tell me about the insects. And I, and I don't have my, the city in front of me. Where was that again? Cincinnati or something? Kansas well, where, right where City. The Kansas City, Kansas Kansas city Kansas. insect. All right. So let's hear yeah. about the infamous Kansas City insect
4: incident. Let's hear about this. Yeah, this made CNN headline news the next day, and Tom was in the middle of it. So, Tom, take it away. <laughs> well,
2: I don't remember what song they were playing, but all of a sudden, this monster bug uh, is is flying around Ed's head, and I mean, we're talking of you know a huge, it's like a hummingbird. <laughs> yeah, it was about that size, and Ed tried. You know, you can see him. Uh, there's video of it you can see him batting it away and and it it lands you know on it lands near his pedal board and he's trying to kick it away and it won't go away and finally he calls me out on stage after the song he's t- telling everybody in the audience you know there's this this airplane sized bug you know that's that's uh, you know dive bombing me here and he calls me out on stage you know tom come on come out here and take a picture of this you know, in front of a sold out show, you know, sold out crowd, he, I get called out with my phone to take pictures of this thing. And, and I still have it. It's, it's still on my phone. It showed up. Uh, I think, I think Jim service uh, uh, had got into a conversation with it, uh, with somebody about it on Facebook. And I've sent the picture. I said, you mean this bug? And it, it, I mean, this, somebody said, I, I don't remember what they, 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 they said it was an assassin bug, which evidently you don't want to get bitten by one because it, it really hurts for a while. You know, I'm, I'm glad it didn't bite Ed and I'm really glad it didn't bite me. But, you know, it was kind of a, a comical moment on that uh, on that evening. You know, Tom, I
4: remember when that happened. That whole night was awful. The s- bugs were, there were swarms of bugs. Oh, the band was swarmed bugs amazing. all night. Wolf was really creeped out by it. He kept coming off stage and it was very (laughs) distracting so when that whole thing happened uh Jim Service and I were over on stage right and we saw the commotion going on and we thought oh no something's something's happened with Ed's rig Tom's on stage Uh uh-oh and all the all the stuff going on but I remember Ed getting on mic finally and saying to the audience I think his words were I'm sorry, but there's a big ass bug. Right here. Take yeah. this out. Yeah.
3: Big, ass bug.
0: <laughs> big ass fucking bug. That's what he said.
4: That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you see him sort of like go and
2: run and like kick the thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He didn't want anything to do with it. Yeah. It's like- is there was any not, other crazy
0: was, stories like that where like, you know, the band gets attacked on stage by bugs or a pack of wild dogs?
2: <laughs> oh yeah, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. But, uh, you know, I, I,
4: I, I, I always thought that if I ever bumped into Ed again, the first thing would be, remember that night in Kansas City? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and he would too. He would, he, would, he, would, he would have just shaken his head like, holy crap, you remember that that big-ass fucking bug.
0: <laughs> it would have been funnier if they kicked into playing the full bug. That would have made sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, oh, dude. Oh, Mitch is talking. We can't hear you.
1: It, it helps oh, if actually unmute myself. I, I was just saying, if you go to Google, it's funny. You put in Van Halen bug Kansas City and a whole page of pictures and video. <laughs> <links>. <laughs> <laughs> it is
4: It is definitely infamous. Um <laughs> Hey, Mitch, uh, let me tell you, let me share one thing before I forget. Yes. Yeah. Getting back to the whole top of this uh, 2015 tour, you know, that was my first time coming into Van Halen camp. I wish I'd been there with Tom on that 08 tour, but uh, I think I was with the Eagles then. But anyway, fate led me to Van Halen uh, for that go around. I'll, here's my one of my favorite stories from that whole experience. The day I got called up to Ed's house, This was kind of in pre-production. And so me sort of having the, you know, the keyboard tracks and being in the band, but not really on those songs, it was important (laughs) for me to come up to Ed's house with the computers so that they could practice the the keyboard songs. Mm -hmm. so here I am at 5150 and I'm over in the corner. It's uh, Ed, Wolf and Alex, no Dave, and uh, just gonna run the keyboard songs. So I'm on my way up there for the first time ever. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't know what to expect. This could be quick. I could be there all day. I'm going to pull into the grocery store a mile from Ed's place and just get a bottle of water, maybe a power bar or something. And just in case I'm kind of stuck in the studio all day, I don't want to be out Expecting food, or I don't know what starving. can happen. so hey, Ed,
1: when are you going to be making burgers? Could you, could you help out?
4: So I get up Ed, there. The pizza. So I get up there that day, and here I am. It's just you know, pinch me. I'm looking around. I can't believe I'm here. It's uh, oh, I'm sorry. So before I get up there, I go to the grocery store, and I'm in I'm in line at Ralph's grocery store, and I'm thinking to myself, here I am, a mile away from. Eddie Van Halen's home, what are the chances that he comes down the hill and buys his own groceries here at this grocery store? I'm sure he doesn't. And I'm not kidding you. The minute that thought pops into my head, guess who comes walking toward me in the (laughs) grocery store?
1: Eddie Van Halen. (laughs)
4: That's great. That's great. That was kind of my day one story there. Was it like, hey, Greg, what's up? You coming to my house, do you need anything? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so anyway question answered yes he comes down the hill and buys his own yeah that's
1: awesome
0: <laughs> that's cool so yeah.
2: day, day day one uh day one for me i get the call you know there's there's been this they've gone through three, just, just,
1: just before that who were you with before you got the call like who were you was it bob seger was it was it fleawood mac no, was it the eagles who, i had who was
2: I hadn't w- worked with Bob in, in, in years and years okay. and years. That so point. when you
1: got the Van Halen call, you were leaving what or coming from what?
2: I was coming off of poison at that point. Mm, nice. We like it, the poison. It was hilarious because I'm, you know, I was riding on the on C.C. On DeVille's bus on that tour. And uh, I, I got the call and uh, to, to come out and they wanted to interview me. And C.C. and I were talking about it when after I hung up the phone. And in his inimitable fashion, he says, Tom Webber, if you pull this off next year, you'll be able to tell him what color bus you want to ride on. <laughs> it's just my I, I've always said. Ed's my boss. Cece's my boy. Nice. And that's that's pretty much it. But, you know, my getting back to first days with Van Halen. I, I oh, wait hold it.
0: on tom don't don't talk about the that act. now i want to know you got you had a job interview so how does the job interview with eddie van halen go well that's
2: that's go, go ahead and going. string
1: this guitar good all right good can <laughs> i wipe this one I, down all right good good
2: yeah kind of <laughs> well i i i flew out to la and matt Brock, who i'm sure you guys know of matt yeah um, matt uh I, I took a, I took a, uh, uh, a cab to the, the Sportsman's Lodge and got checked in, and Matt picked me up, and we went to 51 right across the
4: street from that Ralph's, by the way.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> we love Ralph's. It's a great story. Yeah. I've been often.
2: And we, uh, we go to 5150 and, and walk in, and Matt takes a guitar out of a gig bag, and he hands it to me, and he said, You're to set this up the way you think Ed would like it. And I'm to give you absolutely no information to go by. What? And I'm thinking, okay. And we put a
1: blindfold on you. Go. And the lights
2: are out. Nothing like like trial by fire or crash and burn, you know. And you've got
1: 30 seconds.
2: Yeah. Pretty. (laughs) Well, I, I figure, you know, if this was easy, I wouldn't be here. And I I know that they're on at least their third guy in production rehearsal. Um, So things aren't going well at this point. So I have to think how far outside the box do I have to make this for it to work for Ed? So I remember Ed and I met the first time in 1987. I was the house audio engineer at Starwood Amphitheater in Nashville. And we ended up that's a whole nother story which is really cool but i digress um i remember you know shaking hands with him he had a really strong grip so you know you put you press the string on the fingerboard it meets the fret you get the note if you press really hard the string meets the fingerboard and the note that you just had is really sharp so i figure ed's got a hell of a left hand I'm gonna have to set the intonation flat enough so that when he grabs the neck, the notes are right. Well, when you strike a note on a guitar to tune it, the note starts out going sharp and then it settles into pitch. Mm -hmm. Ed Van Halen's not gonna stay in one place long enough for a note to settle into pitch. So as you pick the string, I figured that's got to be the note. He's also a classically trained pianist. So the strings open on the guitar don't mean anything. They have to be in tune with themselves where he's playing for any given song. So I figure first position, fifth position, I'd find I'd temper tune the guitar in the fifth position and then split the difference to, to the first position. And that would give me kind of a, an in-between that he could go to. Now, if you do that, The high, you know, for guitar players, the high E string or in Ed's case, we tune down a half step. So the high D sharp is literally 14 cents flat. Mm. It means that if I played one of Ed's guitars, the way that I play my own guitars, I'd sound like a blithering idiot because I'd be so out of tune. It was ridiculous. But I thought, okay, this is as far off center as I can make it. And if it's wrong, I've. I've had a chance to have a shot at working with arguably the greatest guitar player of our time. And it was just an honor to be there. So I get it the way I want it. I walk up to Matt and I hand it back to him. And he says, you done? I said, yeah. And he looked at me, he said, are you sure? (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure. Okay. He said, I'll take it up to the house. It'll, it'll play it. It'll said, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Head down Peace to the Ralphs in. and wait for us there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, you know, it, the funny thing was, is, you know, Matt said, uh, I'll be back in a few minutes. Make yourself at home. I'm in the studio at 5150. I'm going to make myself at home. I sat on my hands for 10 minutes because I'm not touching anything. You know, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to just look around. But it's like, that's not happening. Right. So few minutes go by and Matt walks back in the door with the guitar over his shoulder. And he says, dude, big smiles right out of the box. He said, I've been with Ed for 17 years. He said, you're the closest guy so far. He said, Ed, Ed has told me, he said, nobody in the world, not even me can tune a guitar for him. And he set the guitar aside. He handed me another one. He said, he said, Ed wants you to take this one back to your hotel, wave the magic wand over it. I'll pick you back up at, tomorrow at four o'clock. He wants to know if you're good or if you're lucky. And I came back at four o'clock uh, the next day and uh, Ed came in and you know we hadn't seen one another since 1987 or actually 93 was the, the last time that I'd seen him. Mm. And he walks in the door and he looks at me, he goes, I know you and I said yes sir you do and he says I don't remember why I know you but I know that I know you and we had a we had a conversation um, that is also kind of funny but the the as we reached the 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 point where he looked over his shoulder and saw the guitar sitting on the bench he said is that that the one that that you worked on and I said yes it is and uh he went over and he picked it up and he Put it up to the neck up to his ear, and he played a chord. And he said, "It's perfect." He said, "Where have you been all my life?" I said, "On the other end of the phone, waiting for you to fucking call me." You know? <laughs> hey Tom, <laughs> telephone number since nineteen eighty-seven. For Christ's sake, you know. Tom, so- you just
4: reminded me of something. Uh, yes. I totally forgot about this. The first day I was in the rehearsal studio with Ed, before the uh, the story about Ralphs, he came over to me. We'd ne- never met before. And he looks at me and says, we've met. And I said, no, sir, I don't believe we have. And he, he said, yes, we we've, we've met. I know you. Perfect. Nice. And, and I said, wow, I, I believe, sir, I don't believe we've met. He yeah. said, no, we've met. And then I started thinking about it and I said, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Probably 15 years earlier, I was backstage at the Cal Palace with Alex there you go. And Ed came into the dressing room. And just briefly, we, I was playing Alex, the buddy, rich drum tapes. Oh, nice. And Ed comes in. And he's like, come over here. You got to listen to this with me. And they were laughing. And then Ed left. And I thought to myself, is it possible? He, he could remember me from that one brief Absolutely. encounter all
2: those years ago. It blew my
4: mind. <laughs> that was the only explanation.
2: There are people like that. You know, uh, the, I think the most impressive one for me, uh, I worked in a music store as a, a kid and a friend of the owner used to play guitar with B.B. King back like a long, long time ago. And they came to the store one day and we listened to stories and had a great time. And probably four or five years later, I'm at the NAM show Looking at something, and BB uh, King is on his way with his entourage to do, you know, something for Gibson or somebody. And I'm looking at this widget that I'm curious about, and I feel a hand on my shoulder, and I turn, and it's BB King, and he looked at me and he says, "Tom, right?" And I was dumbfounded, and I said, "Yes, sir." And uh, he said we we met at John Kicks Music Store, and uh, I, I remember that day because we talked about this and talked about that. That man knew every single thing about that day, you know. Years later, with a guy, a kid that he had no reason to to remember at all. So you know, there, it's a, it's absolutely possible that Ed remembered you from. Oh, that's amazing.
1: I feel better because at the uh, Montreal show in 2004 with Sammy Hagar, uh, I was backstage and they were doing a runner that night. And they came off the stage and they walked right by me, going to the vans. And I said, "Hey, Ed," and he went, "Hey," and, he went, hey, and, and they got into the van. So if I had met him again, he probably would have rem- remembered me. See, probably, yeah, yeah. he would have been yeah. like, "I, I see. Weren't you in Montreal back two seconds? Yeah, that was me." Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: Tom, it's funny you were talking about the, uh, about Ed's tuning, about the, uh, so when you, what do you call that? Like, what is that tuning style called? Like, you know, it's like 14 cents, you know, sharp or flat. Like, is there a, is there a term
2: for that? It's, it's temper tuning. Temper tuning. Okay. You're setting, you're setting the temperament from one note to the next, um, you know, in the, in, on guitar, it would be in the range of where the player's playing it. You know, it's, it's very, and, and Greg will tell you, it's, it's, it's how pianos are tuned, you know, so. Hmm. that's a very important part of tuning but guitar players never pay attention to that stuff
0: you know? right yeah they just play it if it's in tune if, if it's not they say it's not in tune yeah,
2: yeah. or we make feedback and, until we figure out what's out of tune and, and you know
0: my my guitar techie he played in a band uh that opened for Van Halen on the 2004 tour they were called Jonas and the Massive Attractor just Jonas at the time and I he saw that yeah yeah you were there And he would tell me stories about, you know, they did like that whole first leg with them. And Ed would literally just pop his head into Corey's dressing room and be like, Hey, want to come play some guitar? And he's like, you know, Ed would put his guitar on me. He's like, I played the Frankenstein. He's like, you know, I played the Wolfgangs. And he's like, no matter what, he's like, whenever I'd hit it, it was always out of tune. He's like, And then I realized that he was playing, you know, his high strings were all like, like slightly, slightly flat. And Ed was like, yeah, he's like, I have to play it like this or else it, my, if, as soon as I hit a chord, it goes sharp. So he has to tune it down. So it's cool that you confirmed that.
2: Well, the hey, thing if, about it is, is fourteen cents is not slightly out of tune. No, that's, that's, a, that's lot a lot.
4: Hey, hey, Tom, a quick step back to that. A minute ago, we were talking about Ed's recall ability. Mm-hmm. So right after he was adamant about I, I know you, we've met. The next thing he asked me was, "You got, you got some wire cutters?" And I'm kind of looking around and I'm like, oh, no, sir, I don't believe I have any here. And the next thing I know, someone hands him some wire cutters and he starts trimming his fingernails with them. And I said, sir, I've got nail clippers right here. And he's like, no, I like to cut them with the wire cutters.
1: <laughs> oh, this is fantastic.
4: Oh, dude, I'm gonna have that's going to be the next trick,
0: man. Always need to have a pair of wire cutters to cut your nails. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you using cutters? Let's say Eddie Van Halen does. I gotta use Eddie Van Halen. It's good enough for him.
4: I like, I like <laughs> wire cutters.
0: Yeah. Tom, I want to talk about Ed's guitar tone a little bit, you know, on those live shows, because I got um, I got three 5153s here in my house. Okay. Right. heads. So how stock were those 5153 heads that he was using on that 07 tour? And how did it progress to when we got to the 5153 S on the 2015
2: tour? Well, there have been several revisions to, to those amplifiers. Um, the, the one thing that, that I think the coolest thing uh, that I can say about all of that is that the amp that you play at home is exactly the amp that Ed played on stage. Mm. There weren't, if, if there were ever modifications done, it was to address a thought or an issue. That we uncovered by touring with the amps, and that revision or redesign to compensate for something was always incorporated into the next series of amplifier. Um, this was a situation where, you know, the EVH brand is no longer a. It was no longer a a PV fifty one fifty or a Music Man wolfgang guitar this said evh on it and Mm -hmm. ed was absolutely adamant that what the customer paid for was exactly what he got what he had Mm -hmm. um and he was he was so he was so adamant about consistency in the product that I, I mean, I'd I'd seen him yell at guys from Fender that had, would bring something for him to check out, an amp to check out, and you know we're talking about we're talking about a guy that you know, on the first tour, he would look at me and and he'd have this kind of what was that look on on his face,
3: mm.
2: as loud as the guitar rig was, and as you know Ed's hearing was not that good, uh, mm. but. He can hear three. He could hear three millivolts of bias drift during a show. He'd look at me and, and with a, with an with a kind of a one of those scrunched up nose looks, and that was my cue to to. At, at that point, the first amplifiers, you know, you, I couldn't check the bias, so he had me replacing tubes between songs. Hmm. So my my first contribution to to that whole uh, 5150 thing um i basically insisted that dave friedman come out and we work on the amps and put the the bias test ports and the bias control on the back of the amp so that i could monitor it during the show and adjust the bias so that we could maintain a consistent you know bias across the tubes during the show without changing them wow but you know you come to find out we we had a we had a large batch of tubes that that hadn't been burned in properly um like hundreds of them. Um, so we'd get, we'd get five shows out of one set of tubes and two shows out of another set of tubes and 10 shows out of another set of tubes. And everybody was like, it's the amp, it's the amp. And it's no, it's gotta be the tubes. Mm, I was right. So, but the, uh, there, there have been, I don't know how many revisions there there have been, you know, since I started, but it's, it's very important that, that everybody know that, that when you buy one, it's the same thing that Ed Ed got. Now Mm -hmm. we set the bias a little hotter than the factory. Right. Yeah. Um, But I I think the factory setting is 40 millivolts across, across the quartet of tubes. And I used to set them at 45. If I remember correctly, nothing ridiculously out of line, uh, but, enough so that the amplifier really lit up like a Roman candle at that point. Right. Now, did, did we use more tubes that way? You would think so. But on the 2015 tour, um, on the 2015 tour, I used one head with one set of tubes for almost the whole tour. Um, we had an issue with, we had a tube failure that they had to find with an electron microscope um What? literally nobody could figure out what what happened with this See, with this
1: is why arena shows sound better than bar shows because they ain't no mice microscopes at, at the brass monkey i you know
2: well there, there wasn't you. one at the arena either you know I, I i switched ed to his back one of his backup heads and we boxed the head up and shipped it straight to fender and you know a few days later they they got in touch with me and said tom we we literally had to put the, the tubes under an electron microscope to find the fault in one of the plates in the power gate. Oh
0: my God!
2: So that's that's the attention to detail that Ed insisted on because wow. it had his name on it. Let,
1: let me ask incredible. you just before Jeremy gets into the whole sound thing: Is working with Ed and working with CC? Like, I mean, are, is it a guitar tech, a guitar tech, or is are you working on like you know major league baseball and AAA? Like, and not not, not as an insult, but I mean. In terms of demands, I'm not, not, not about the player, but in terms of demands, like the CC just go, just make sure they're in tune and let's have some fun. Or is it also the same kind of attention to detail and, you know?
2: Well, the, the the thing about being a tech is you never, you never know when an artist is going to be taken by a detail. Mm. So, it's it's like Ed used to say. It was consistency, you know, in all things, and I think that that's the most important part of being a tech. Is right. you have to be consistent. You no, know, it doesn't matter who you're working for. Right. They, you know, the, the the biggest thing is they're creatures of habit. They have a comfort zone. Right. They don't. Yeah. They want to go out and play. They don't want to go out and think about playing. So it's our job to make sure that things are the same way today that they were yesterday and the day before and the day before and to keep communication up with an artist so that if something does change you know you have to let me know because I can only work with the information that you give me if I don't get any I don't know if something's wrong, so right. feel yeah. free at all times <laughs> to tap me on the shoulder and go. And
1: let me just re- rephrase that for a second, too, because I wasn't trying to insult Cece at all. But oh no, what, not no, yeah. yeah. That's
2: Bitch, not, you
0: basically called Cece like you know triple. Yeah, and yeah,
1: that's not that's not what I meant yeah. at all. But but I'm just saying, is was the level of stress with Van Halen more than the level of stress with Poison, or a gig is a gig, and you do you approach it exactly the same?
2: I, I approach it exactly the okay. same. Um, yeah. It, it was it was funny because I, I think uh, I had uh, I had mentioned uh, on the phone when we we, we spoke that uh, uh, at one point during the 2015 tour Jim Service uh, came who was Wolfgang's tech and and a you uh, and I know that uh, I know Greg's been touring with him with with Foreigner um, he's an A level tech mm-hmm. um, and great guy I love him to death and. Uh, he, uh, he came to my side of the stage you know, one day and and he leans up against my workbox and he says, Webb, I don't know how you do it. I said, what do you mean? He said, how do you deal with the pressure? I said, "You know, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. He says, dude, it's Eddie freaking Van Halen. He said, I, I don't think I could do it. I was like, oh, come on. You know, I, I don't look at it any differently than, than working with CeCe or working with Rebus guys, you know. Your your demeanor with the person may be different, but your commitment to the gig can never change. It has to be, you, you know, if you're going to maintain a, a a relationship with an artist and a reputation in the industry, your reputation has to precede you and and has to be maintained at all costs. Because you could, the last thing that you want is somebody going, I heard this guy was really great. But, you know, he's kind of lazy with us. You know, nah,
0: you can't do that. This guy can't hear the shit that's going on in the tubes unless it's under a microscope. Come on. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's
0: that's crazy, man. I mean, and, and especially when you're touring with Edward Van Halen, it's like, like you said, you know, it really comes down to consistency because obviously he does have the brand that he's representing, right? You know, he waves the flag and says, I don't put anything on unless it's been road tested. You know, even down to back when he put out the original Music Man guitar, there was an interview he did where he's like, you know, I wanted Ernie Ball to have the quality control where I could be on tour in, uh, you know, Boise, or I could be in, um, you know, LA London and go into a music store and grab a guitar off the rack and play it that night. Yeah. He's like, that's the kind of quality control that I want. So to hear yeah. you reiterate that, it, it, it really puts... You know, confidence in me as a consumer because I know that that is true.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, the last thing you want to—the last thing that you want to tour with is something that you can't get if it breaks. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh, this is dumb." Yeah, they don't make those anymore. I can't get one, and you can't do your show without it. Oops.
4: Hey, sorry. Back back to what Tom was saying, uh, addressing the magnitude or the intensity of the Van Halen gig. Mm -hmm. Let me chime in and tell you a little story when i got the offer to do that tour i was a bit nervous about it because there were a lot of stories about different periods of the band different states of mind of any members of the band at particular times in their history and i was just a little nervous so i actually called my buddy steve percaro from the band toto steve had worked with well steve is very friendly with the van halens i think most of the toto guys are obviously steve had worked with alex on the previous tour to build all the backing tracks for alex's drum solo
3: mm. you, i
4: don't know if you were on that tour tom or not but anyway steve did this really cool soundtrack that alex did the solo to and yeah because so anyway they
0: a couple of toto uh samples in that really cool like rumba track
4: oh well really you know, on, the, on the 2015 tour
0: I they were using Toto
1: samples in Van Halen shows?
0: Yeah. So during Alex's solo, oh. if you listen to like the horns and stuff like that, that was, there's was like a bunch of Toto stuff going on. Well,
4: that's a, that's a different story. Um, and that's interesting that you picked up on that. And I'll, All right. I'll, I'll Let's do both. One. Let's hear both of I these stories. Right, and I know this stuff. <laughs> All right. I'm going to sit cool. back and
1: be educated. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I've I'll got my, I've got my with school you. of rock shirt on. I'm ready to be educated. Let's go.
4: <laughs> yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. I that just slipped my mind but anyway back to steve percaro i called him and i said steve i kind of want to get your brotherly advice i am uh considering this amazing opportunity to go out on tour with fan halen but i'm a little nervous about it what what do you say and he said you'll be just fine just remember this keep your head down don't say anything and try not to get fired it's a (laughs) tough room oh my god I was, uh, you know, no pressure. No pressure. As it turns out, that 2015 run, the guys couldn't have been sweeter. I mean, I remember days I'd be sitting at my rig editing. I'd feel these hands come over my shoulders, a big bear hug its head. Um, He was absolutely lovely that summer. Uh, So it turned out wonderfully, but I was a little nervous in the beginning.
0: Yeah. So Uh, was it the exact opposite of what you were expecting? Like it was a love fest versus the careful?
4: Well, you know, I took Steve's advice. I just tried to be invisible, getting back to the very beginning of the conversation and not say much. There was one day I was sitting quietly and I knew uh, Roth was, David Lee Roth was right behind me warming up before the show. He would have this ritual where he would, come up and stand right behind me just as he was about to go on at the beginning of the show and he would do his martial arts warm-ups right wow wow slightly. wow wow
1: <laughs> the yeah, kung fu and, fighting
4: we love it and so I would just sit and look forward and never turn to him never try to chat with him I would let him be the instigator but I would <laughs> sit quietly one day I didn't know he was behind me and I felt this whoosh kind of Breeze by the back of my head, and I turned, and he says, "Don't move." And I realize he's using my head as a kung fu target, and the legs coming up over my shoulder, and and I was instructed not awesome. to move on that. Oh, that's awesome! Uh, but anyway, before I forget, so yeah, we uh, I came in and uh, was working with Alex. Uh, a whole team of people were working with Alex to build this new soundtrack for the uh, the drum solo on the 2015 tour, and Alex. Is very creative. He has lots of ideas that constantly kept changing and changing right up until the last minute um, with ideas. And at one point, Alex said, You know, that song, that Toto song, Jake to the Bone, which is one of the most amazing Toto songs that no one, not too many people heard. Incredible instrumental song. And Alex loved it. And he said, Let's, put, let's see if we can put a riff from that song at the end of the drum solo. And I said, well, cool. I mean, do you have to check into the copyrights uh, for that? And he's like, well, let's, yeah, let's just talk to the guys. So I said, all right, let me, I'll call Steve Picaro right now. And I did. And Steve says, I've got Luke right here with me. And he's like, you want to do what? I said, Alex is interested in using this riff from Jake to the Bone. Are you cool with that? Absolutely. Use it, brother. And it was just like that. It was done and and in the silly. Very very cool you picked up on that.
0: Yeah. Well. I was reading somewhere See? about it because I just got that new um, modern drummer just put out a new, really cool book about, and they cover like all of Alex's kids through the years. And there was a new interview with him in there as well. And uh, I think they talked about that in there and I was like, Oh, that's a Toto song. And so that's cool. Let me ask you this. So when you go into record, you know, those types of backing tracks with the band and then it's being played back in like live. Um, Cause in Alex's drum solo, There's a part in there where at the end, Ed's guitar kind of comes in and he does this riff sort of like um, from Girl Gone Bad. Was that on tape or was Ed doing that live every night?
4: No, Ed came in early one morning. Um, I remember Alex would call me every morning. Tom, this was when we were at Sony. Um, I'm sorry, Alex would call every morning. We would talk about the day's plan. And so he called that particular morning and said, hey, uh, let's come in early, my brother's coming in and we're gonna record a guitar part for the solo. All right, cool. So sure enough, there's Ed and he's sitting on a road case right next to my computer rig to do that part. Mm. And God, that was amazing. I remember asking Ed, okay, how do you want to approach this? Do you want me to give you a two bar count in? how are you feeling the time here? Are you feeling quarter notes, eighth notes? How do you want me to count you in? He's like, and he says, I don't even want to think about counting anything. Just point at me and I'll play. (laughs) That's exactly what he did. And of course, one take, perfect, done. There you go. And so it was, it was in the computer every night. Dude,
0: you engineered a recording session with Edward Van Halen.
4: Well, I don't want to give myself too much credit, but... Uh, you come know, on, man. It, it pretty darn cool. But <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> every night, you know, Alex, of course, uh, gets click track into his mm-hmm. into his in-ears. And so, you know, that's how, of course, you know, he's in sync with, with the uh, backing tracks.
0: So was he using click track
4: on every song or... No, only on the songs with the drum solo and the, the keyboard songs, keyboard, okay. everything and else There was, was, uh, there
0: was an in-ear monitor mix that leaked from the 2012 tour and they were doing a couple of songs and there was like really loud cowbell like going in the background. So I was always yeah, that's, curious that's, if that's he was-
4: trick. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing that, that Al's following, yeah.
0: So then um, when, you're nice. doing play, when you're doing playback for other artists and stuff, are you the guy that's going, you know, like if you're doing on Shakira and you're like, okay, here we go. Uh, on the playback do you go whenever wherever one two three verse or like all those things do, do every, you have artist,
4: every artist is different uh, what yeah. they want and some tours you have slates slate tracks in there that gives the next song name and uh, as the count off is under it yeah you know van halen was just very simple it was just a cowbell and one two one two three four boom and, so were you recorded and,
0: on the track going one, two,
4: like? It was yeah. It was all pre-recorded.
0: Okay. Was it was it your voice or was it like Al or?
4: No, no. I inherited uh, a lot of uh, tapes, a lot of material from previous oh, okay. tours and generations. So they were comfortable with that. Don't mm-hmm. change it. Nice. That's cool.
0: Tom, uh, here's a question that I've always been curious about. So Ed's guitar tone you know, he's, he's known as one of the guys that sort of, you know, innovated the whole wet, dry, wet setup. Okay. So when it comes to that, how, because you've said that his, like the stage volume is super loud. Right. So how loud are his cabinets? So in the center, you literally have just dry. So what does that mean? What is going
2: through that? If I turn the flanger on, is the flanger going through that cabinet? All all the all the, the, the the pedals on the pedal board go through the center cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that signal uh, basically, we'd, we'd take a. Uh, we had a, a little black box that uh, basically boils down to like a, a Palmer load center yeah. speaker simulator type of a thing, where we, we didn't use the effects loop for uh, the time based uh, effects, the delay and, and verb um mm-hmm. we, we came we came off a speaker output for that and stepped that signal down to line level right the, that went to the input for the the uh the left and right delays and uh the the, the lexicon reverb unit and that was fed into an h and h power amp and that became left and right
0: so so talk about the like the the volume level though cuz it's like you know were the left and right speakers the same level as the dry and it was just like a wall of sound and then like the delay would come in like how were the levels set and like how like loud was the delay in the mix kind of thing
2: it was maybe a, a little it, it varied from day to day depending on the acoustics of the room you know, that's, that was the advantage of having, uh, you know, the, the, the power amps, basically I could turn them up, turn them down, depending on what was, what Ed was hearing on any given day. Hmm. Um, but typically we really didn't have to horse with, with a whole lot of anything. It it came up pretty close every day. Um, the left and right is very comparable to the, the, the center channel, um, and I think the I think the nuances of of uh you know those sounds left and right were they were minimally different, but mm. not enough, not enough to really notice it. Uh, it was plenty loud. It's it's was the second loudest guitar rig that I've ever played through. Well, who's uh, is the loudest? Uh, the Angus Young's. <laughs> wow. I uh I had the opportunity to play through it uh, when I, w- I was with Nine Inch Nails and we were I think we were in Minneapolis and they were in the venue the, the night before we were and they invited us to come and you know, hang out for the day mm-hmm. and uh, I got a chance to, to to play through Angus's rig and it it will literally lift you up out of your shoes Mo- the wow. loudest thing that I mean I, I hit a cord on, on this thing standing where Angus would stand. And I literally, my brain told me that I had just taken a step to the right and I was now three inches shorter than I was a second ago. It just, it, it just, my, <laughs> it threw my equilibrium off just because it was so loud. And I spent the show sitting at front of, ha- front of house with my in ears in as, mm-hmm. as earplugs, and it was still too loud.
0: <laughs> wow. What do you think that is? Is, he, is the guy just deaf or is, or is that contribute to the tone having those, those, you know, cabinets just really working?
2: Oh, it, you know, it's with guitar, the louder you are, you are the more magical things you can do. You know, it's, it's not like any other instrument in that respect. Um, a lot of times, you know, you get feedback with a guitar, you can play it like an instrument. You know, you get feedback with a violin. It's not necessarily a good thing you know, or vocal microphone. Nobody really wants to hear feedback in a vocal microphone, but guitar, it's fine. You know, the more the merrier.
0: Get on the whammy bar and, you know, start doing all kinds of cool things.
2: Yeah, it becomes magic at that point. The magic wand. Yeah. Um, Uh,
0: I got another really nerdy question for you. So you're talking about, you know, being able to tune Ed's guitar and everything. There's a lot of speculation about how low he likes his action. Could you talk (laughs)
2: about that a little bit? Well, I think you have to take into consideration the the first rule of guitars is every single one of them is measured in thousands of inches. Mm. There's, you know, the, the, the geometry would dictate that the closest thing to, to the neck being parallel to the string is the least invasive on tuning as you play up the neck. Some people say, oh, I got to have, you know, this much relief in the neck. I never do. I try to. I get it as flat as I can get it, and I get the strings as close as the artist wants them. Ed's action wasn't the lowest of, of you know the players that I've worked with, but it was by no means high. Um, mm. It's not that there's nothing particularly tricky about getting action that's comparable to what Ed played on a daily basis. Um, mm. It's it really wasn't that by the time I finished working on the guitars that they were pretty straightforward that the tuning was more the difficulty. Um, I think it, it was it was really interesting one, one day we got a prototype instrument in and. Uh,
0: Do you remember I, which one it was was it a Wolfgang or was it a strike.
2: It, it was a wolfgang and, and of course it arrived you know, 15 minutes before sound check. And Ed wants to play it, and I was like, "Well, you know, it's, it doesn't have the, t- you know, we we use uh we use titanium parts from uh, uh, Fu Tone uh, Flo- uh, Flight upgrades." Adam Reaver's place. Yeah, I love Adam. Oh yeah, he he's the one that got me in the door with Van Halen. I really? Mean, he and Matt Bruck went to school together when they were kids. Oh, I didn't know that. That's they, cool. Well, Matt Matt called uh, called Adam and said you know, cause Adam deals with every Floyd Rose guy there is. Right.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and Matt said, I need, I need a tech, um, you know, you know, all the Floyd Rose guys. He said, every, everybody that we've we've talked to is busier. They, 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 they don't want the pressure of working with Ed. Well,
0: I was just going to say, first of all, you're busy. Get the, what Eddie Van Halen's calling you. You're not busy.
2: Well, if you want to, if you want to keep working in the business and you've got a gig, I, I did, I did a, a run with Matchbox 20 in 2017 and three days into rehearsal, I got four calls in the same day to go to work for an artist for four times the money. Wow! And I had, com- I, I turned them down four times because I had committed to doing this Matchbox 20 gig. And the guitar player found out about it. And he walked in and he, he said, he said, I understand that Steve Miller's been calling you. And I said, yes, you 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 understand correctly. He says, I also understand that they offered you a lot of money and you didn't take the gig. And I, and I said, that's true. He says, have you lost your freaking mind? <laughs> he says, I'd have taken the gig. I'd have been on the airplane. I'd have left me a note. <laughs>
1: I would have left my own band to do this. You
2: would have woke yeah. up the next morning. I would have been gone. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I told them, I said, that's that's not how I do business. And my reputation is more valuable to me than that. And it has to be. It just yeah. has to be. So. Do, do guys come in and out of gate, like, do they, do they leave
1: halfway through the tour? Like, do people just cut out and go, hey, listen, Aerosmith called, got to go. So, I mean, that, that, that's not an industry standard. It can't be.
2: Well, it happens. Wow. It happens. So, wow.
0: Okay. So is there like a do you have a contract with these bands or is it just kind of like a gentleman's agreement? Oh, I gotta pay you a couple of G's a week. Here's our deal. And then if Joe Perry calls you like, I gotta go.
2: Well, first thing I think in the music business, there's no such thing as a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> and 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 we'll we can we can leave that up to speculation as to why. But yeah. uh, you know what is it the the, the the there's a famous saying about the 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 music business is a, a a road to hell or whatever then there's this and there's that and then the, the other thing and the blah 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 oh and there's also a uh, there's also a downside you know and, right yeah it's that it's that but.
0: cutthroat industry yeah.
1: but it's oh, amazing yeah. though when you see like bands like Foreigner that have the same a lot of the same guys come back year after and Metallica yeah. was doing that for a while they had the same guys it's it's nice that some of these bands and we'll call it loyalty but they some of them have the loyalty and some just change the roadies like like car parts, you know. But right. nice to see the ones that have that loyal. And by the way, thanks for the foreigner four behind you, Jeremy, in, in tribute of is. Greg. That was that was very thoughtful.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Signed by Mick Jones. That's and, right. Actually, hold on. There's a photo of me and Mick Jones uh, right there. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> what nice were we tribute. talking about? We were talking about something, Van Halen. I can't remember
2: now. We were talking about action. The, action. Action on guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, so, it really, it really just, uh, it, it, it's not that tough. When you start talking about guitars, the slightest change matters. So yeah. again, consistency be yeah. on top of all that stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. I remember Cause I, I bought my first, the reason I bought my first Wolfgang was because, well, I paid for half, I had to work at my parents' gas station and they paid for the other half, which was awesome. And I was in grade nine, I think I was in middle school and uh so we saw i saw van halen on that 07 tour in november of 2007 at montreal and he was playing one of the prototypes it was the the ivory Wolfgang, and the other one he was playing was the one with four on it and uh, four there you go so i saw that and it was the the first one that got it steve's music once they were officially released steve's music in montreal saw it on the rack i was like that's the one i want and in the in the case it came with um you know like the the pamphlet that you write the serial number on and it came with like a little write up from Ed, you know, talking about the story of the guitar. And he said on there, the act, he said on there, the action is set to the point of buzz and then it's brought back up again. And right. I always thought that was very interesting. So to hear the perspective of how his actual guitar set up and it, it's similar.
2: So, well, you know, the, the, I've, I've never met a guitar that I really, really enjoyed that didn't rattle a little bit when you lean into it. You know, you have to be able to play. The player has to be able to to, to play cleanly. But you know, the, the picture of Telecaster, or you know, Telecaster is the, the the ultimate attitude guitar. You lean into a Telecaster and it rattles, and the, the single coil pickups pick it up, and you can tell there's a little bit of anger that that comes with that that rattle of strings. You know, so. I always try to make it so that if if you play with a, a lighter right hand you get the clean if you lean into it you get that jangle that we were looking for but you, know, you your action really doesn't have to be that low to allow that to happen you you have to you have to play with a, a different right hand from one you know one emotion to the to the next so it's easier when the strings are lower so you know i always. That's, that's pretty much correct. You know, you, you, you bring it bring it in, bring the action in until it rattles a little too much. And then you back it off until it, it doesn't. And that's, what's right for you. Now hmm. I try to keep the fingerboard as straight as possible, because like I said, the geometry being what it is, you don't want to have to bend. You don't want to have to press a string further in the middle of the neck than you do at either end. Right. And, you know, when you especially when you're talking about somebody like Ed who can hear, You know the the temperament between strings so well uh you want consistency across the playing surface uh and a a flat surface is pretty much as close to perfect as what you're going to get for that
0: so no that makes total sense so to go back to ed's tuning how -hmm. many of the strings had the altered tuning on them? Like, was it every single one of them or was it just like the high strings or, you know, was, four, was the 14 cents just on the G string and the B or?
2: They were all different and it would be, it'd be different from one guitar to the next because, oh. well, and, and here's why. Um, when I first went to work for him, we played, uh, my instructions were, uh, there were four guitars in the rack and then the the two little guitars, a main and a backup. Yeah. Or maybe the, there were, yeah. And then a Frankenstein.
0: Did he have the so, Art Series guitars on that tour too?
2: Uh, those were the ones that uh, that uh, he played and signed, and yeah. they were auctioned off. Oh yeah, I had to I had to set those all up too. They <laughs> they would meet me at every venue, and oh. uh, it's like, hey, oh yeah, we got we got five of them today. Okay, I got nothing better to do. You
1: know,
2: I'm, right. I, right. I'm changing all of the 12 inch speakers in the guitar rig and, and all of the pickups and all the guitars, and I have five of those things to work and meanwhile.
1: On. Meanwhile, Greg's over here going, I only got this button to push. Meanwhile, Greg is
0: like, is
2: my keyboard <laughs> sample rate
0: correct tonight?
1: <laughs> I got this one button on
0: off.
4: <laughs> Can off. I just say though that the fear in your heart? When pressing that button, if a beach ball were to come up or an error message, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. It had oh. its it had its ups and downs in that chair. That must oh, be the yeah.
0: most like oh that's well yeah. I, well, I want to Here comes know a some, flying
1: beer. Oh no!
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frank, get <laughs> thinking about some stories about beach ball stories. We'll get to that in a sec because <laughs> Tom, continue.
2: There, I forgot what I was saying. That's uh, uh, art five guitars. The
0: Art Series, the art series guitars
2: right right well that you know basically my instructions on the first tour was you know you've got guitar number one ed will never hold a guitar for more than two songs in a row because he'll pull it out of tune so guitar number one then guitar number two you know guitar number three in certain circumstances and guitar number four is only in there in case one two and three catch fire hmm. so you know there was levels of love from one guitar to the other but we got to uh, the first I've, to, to to put it all in perspective, my first day with Van Halen was the last day of production rehearsal. The oh. next that day was the day of the friends and family show. So my first day on the job entailed having a show at the end of the day, and then the whole business went in the truck and we went on tour. So I was gonna I had one day to figure out what I was doing for the tour. And pull it off the first time. So nothing like no, no pressure here, you know.
1: None at all. Meanwhile, Greg's like, Yep, that works. Yeah, yeah. We're good.
0: <laughs> well, Greg, you're shaking your head. And is that kind of like industry standard? Like you just kind of get thrown into the trenches like that? Or
1: he's just like, Yep,
2: we're good. Okay. <laughs> well, it was it was funny because that, that <sighs> day the production manager said, uh, you know, I was in the in the production office and he said, Okay not to not to put any pressure on you or anything but this whole tour whether we stay out for the whole tour or we go home tomorrow revolves around what kind of humor your guy is in on any given day wow great holy crap welcome to van halen first day nice but we got uh I had set the guitars up the way that I I felt they needed to be. And we start the friends and family show. I haven't even heard the whole show yet because we didn't make it all the way through the show in rehearsal that morning. (laughs) So we get to, you know, guitar number one, you know, song, song one, song two, and Matt's right there with me and he says, okay, be ready with guitar number two. And I'm, I'm standing at at the base of the stairs with guitar number two and Ed looks at me and he goes, I'll keep this one. And that day, we didn't make the first guitar change until 13 songs into the show, when he came down for the drum solo. And that's the way it was every show from day one until the last show that we did together. And Matt, Matt, Matt looked at me He says, dude, this has never happened before. He's never held a guitar for more than two songs. And we got to the lead solo and he said, okay, be ready. Cause you know, they go into ain't talking about love and the guitar is always out of tune. And this is a real sore spot for Van Halen. And they finished the guitar solo. And now he didn't jam the headstock into the show, the stage for the, that that show or any other show except Greensboro. But they go into ain't talking about love and the guitar's still in tune. And Matt's jumping up and down. He's hugging me. He says, dude, you have any idea what you've done on your first day," he says. "This is Van Halen history. The guitar's never been in tune on that song, so that was that was the start of a of a the, of history for me. But we got back to that the the prototype guitar that came in mm-hmm. um, and talking about the differences of, of one guitar to another. The uh, the uh, he was looking at at the instrument, and I said, you know this this doesn't have it doesn't have the, the titanium locking nut. It doesn't have the titanium parts and the bridge. It doesn't have your strings on it. You know, I haven't adjusted the, the intonation, no nothing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I said, uh, you know, and this this guitar has got a different fret on it than your main instrument. So I'm going to have to set it up differently. And he looked at me, he says, you know, it, it doesn't impress me that, that, that you can do all that stuff. He said, what impresses me is that, you know, there's a difference. And I said, "Well, I'll tell you. You know, you you start out. You know, they, they'd play the intro to the show and the first three songs, and the guys would sing their background parts because Dave was never there, and that would be sound check. And then they'd go on and do whatever they felt like doing."
3: Mm.
2: I said, "You guys start, and when I get this ready, you know, I'll bring it up and, and you can play it." Well, it it took me the intro and the first song. I had swapped out the the, the locking nut all of the titanium parts in the bridge restrung the guitar stretched it tuned it temper tuned it adjusted the truss rod and i I walked up on stage before the beginning of the second song and i'm holding the guitar and he walks up and he goes it's done i said you're never around to see what you actually pay me for Mm -hmm. and you know and i hand him the guitar and he he puts it around his neck and He's, he's walking away and he turns around and looks at me like, he kind of shakes his head like, how in the hell, you know? But it, it, they don't know what we do most of the time. but
0: Dude, that's uh, insane.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, that's every day of, of, of being a guitar tech, you know, that there's something insane that's going to make your day be different than every other day. So be prepared for everything.
4: Hey, Tom, you have to tell the story about the guitar picks. So just a a quick little setup is we we all collect amazing memorabilia from our tours. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my little treasured uh, items that I received from 2015. Tom gave me a set of I think there were five different designed picks uh, that Ed came up with for that tour. Tom gave me a set of them. But uh, I think it may have been the first or the second show of the tour, Ed was instructed never to throw the picks out into the audience again, uh, because I think he did it at the first show when there was a brawl. Back oh, to the whole goodness. question
1: of tour insurance, because if somebody gets his eye punched out, the band gets, and by the way, I, I have my Jeremy White pick right here. Just <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, uh, Wait, yeah. Put it
0: closer, put it closer.
1: Oh, hold on, it's gonna uh, disappear. Put
0: in front of yeah. your face, in front of your face.
1: There you go. <laughs> nice. No, but yeah, you know the uh, Kiss—they used to hand out their uh, the, the broken guitars, and they had to stop doing it because they at, at some point somebody said they're going to sue, and if some guy gets his eye punched out because they want an Eddie Van Halen pick, well, there you yeah, go.
0: Is, is that really like an insurance thing, or yeah? Uh...
1: Nice, nice. Epic. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. That yeah.
0: You know what I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny bit. Greg
1: Rule there you go he's got a
4: Greg Rule oh he's yeah. on mute
0: oh Greg you're on you're,
4: on, mute. you're on mute Greg look at that. that's from Chris, uh, Chris Leperage gift it's our little business cards our buddy uh, topic, with the portrait
2: nice Magic. man we
1: lo- we love Chris Chris is awesome I, there you I, go i a, I'm, uh,
2: crew picks with poison are kind of a a a, a regular thing and i've i've got one I can't remember what what year some of the
1: racing outfits by the way, the poison racing oh, yeah. outfits. Oh
2: that's yeah. fucking classic. Yeah. You oh wait, wait, wait. What the next time the next time we do this, I'll I'll wear one of my, my uh 2007 Van Halen jumpsuits, black jumpsuit with the yeah. Van Halen logo embroidered across the back. Sweet, Dude, that'd be oh, epic. Yeah, there's there's uh I think there are there's nine of those in existence, you know.
0: Wow. Well, if you have a spare, I'll give you my address.
2: There you go. How how tall are you? I'm,
0: I'm six <laughs> one. And about yeah, well, yeah, well,
2: yeah. I'm six four. So <laughs> oh, I'll fit it. I'll roll it up.
0: Why not? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Tom, let oh. me let me ask you really quick because we were talking about FU tone. You know, on on Ed's guitars, because stock they obviously don't come with the with the with Adam stuff, and you can obviously upgrade it. But on right. his touring guitars. What was he using from F.U. Tone? Was he using the titanium or the brass or was he just using stock Wolfgang's?
2: Titanium. You know, the, the, the titanium parts, um, the way that Ed's guitars were set up. He insisted that the, that the, the clamping, uh, the string clamps basically be as tight as you could get them. Mm. Um, he showed me how he wanted it. I'd get two, maybe three shows out of a clamping block before it would break. Wow. And I went through those things like crazy. And then I thought, you know I talked him into, into putting the, the titanium ones in. and 52 shows later I'm still on, I was still on the same set. And mm. so it's like, yeah, you know if for no other reason, if, 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 if for no sonic reason, which by the way, there is, there's a, mm-hmm. a there's a marked improvement, you know, with, with the titanium parts. Um,
0: did Ed say okay. that did he, he heard a sonic difference with the titanium from F U-Tone versus the stock stuff?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we you know that's why we that's why we used it. If if he wouldn't have noticed the difference, or he or if he would have insisted on using the original parts or the, mm-hmm. the you know, that's what we would have used. But mm-hmm. there was there's a definite advantage to all of that stuff. Sonically um just the 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 ability of the parts to maintain their shape um mm-hmm. you know you don't break parts you can keep playing guitar and for yeah. me that's kind of where my world has to remain you know the closer i can keep it on on the lines you know
0: the better yeah. off i am so, no that makes sense so what yeah. what like how many millimeters was his titanium block like on the the bridge block was it 37
1: oh, um This is, by the way, why I brought Jeremy to this conversation, because I have no idea what he's talking about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All the gear sluts online are like, Jeremy's asking how big his block was.
2: (laughs) The the tremolo blocks, we didn't change. The clamping blocks in the saddles, we did. So uh, I I don't recall what the... I don't want to okay. get the wrong number because that's
0: one of the big things that Fu Tone does. They do the tremolo blocks, they do the brass blocks, they do the titanium. So exactly. you only did the um like the locking nut, like the the clamps, right? And did you do like the did you do the the screws as well? Oh yeah, all that um, stuff on the bridge. So it was like yeah. uh, like,
2: oh yeah, what I swear the... by that stuff. I swear by that stuff. Yeah, that it's yeah. we did we did a lot of the beta testing for the titanium parts with CC Deville. Oh, wow. Because because if, if you think Ed's hard on a, on a, a Floyd Rose, CC's way, way harder.
0: Yeah, and I saw CeCe last time they opened up for Def Leppard and like, geez, the guy was like holding it like this, just from like the bar and like wiggling around. I'm like, it's going to pop if, off. If,
2: there, if there's a way to break a guitar, CeCe knows what it is.
1: <laughs> just don't do it on SNL. Oh yeah. my God.
2: Yeah. But we've, we've had, <laughs> we've had nothing but, but, but great luck with, with Adam's stuff. And, and I, I don't, I don't leave the house without, without parts from him because there, I'm going to have a occasion to use something somewhere, you know, every time I'm out with somebody that plays a Floyd. So
0: yeah, no, I put on all of my stuff too. So yeah. They so helped. so you,
2: did you use the titanium saddle
0: blocks too on the bridge? uh yeah yeah everything okay nice well good to know because that's uh yeah. everybody always talks about they like i wonder if he was using titanium blocks and it's such a mitch it's literally like such a minuscule like minute thing like there are these small little blocks that go where like the string goes into the bridge and people are like i wonder if he was using that or not you know
2: i know well, the thing about it is it's it's not such a minute thing no it's not you you can hear the difference there's definitely a difference mm. you know
0: Oh. Rick, you were going to tell a guitar pick story, but we kind of cut you off. So keep going with that. Yeah, so let's get back was, to the
4: guitar picks. Yeah, yeah. it was just uh, the memo came down early in the tour that, uh, Ed, please don't throw any more picks out into the audience. It incited a brawl. And it. so he agreed. And I think that's when they started to uh, sell the picks. Right, Tom? Is that how that
2: all happened? Right. That is it. Yeah, I, I, I the, uh, I got the, I got uh, kind of potentially in hot water at one point um, during the uh, the '07 tour because yeah. I carried all of Ed's picks with me on the bus. They weren't in my rig; they were in my bunk in a in a uh, basically small like overnight bag type of a thing.
0: Did you get because- caught bootlegging picks, Tom?
2: Well, no, no. The the thing was, you know, they started showing up on eBay. Mm. And you know, the first half of the tour, we didn't have a signature pick. You know, oh. it wasn't it wasn't until the second half of the tour that we got. The, Wait, there's uh,
1: fake stuff on eBay?
0: Wow, who knew? Oh, I don't believe
2: <laughs> you. Well, no,
1: the,
0: the, the,
2: it wasn't it wasn't fakes, but you know, the second half of the tour, these things right. start showing up on eBay. And it's like, mm. okay, I would put you know, a whole bunch of them out on, the, the way it worked, there were the the, the the red, white, and black stripe picks. Were they the we're,
0: transparent, the transparent Dunlops?
2: Um, well, what we had was uh, the, they weren't transparent. They were, uh, that was, I think that was the tour before I came on. They were uh, the red, white, and black stripe ones. And then uh, like a, a Herco 50 in silver, Mm -hmm. which were the the picks that he played on stage and then we had the same thing in the gold pick and he carried those around in his pocket basically so that you know if he wanted to hand one to somebody the only way you were going to get a gold one is from ed himself
0: from ed wow okay
2: interesting and i i put i put those out on on his mic stand so that he could use or hand out or you know do whatever pitch, whatever he wanted to pitch at the time. Mm. And we never counted anything. He said just you know line the mic stand with him and I'd always get a stage hand and I, because the first thing that anybody was going to do after a Van Halen show, <laughs> stage hands are going to go after Ed's guitar guitar picks on the, on the, the mic stand. So whoever I would, I would pick, you know during the, when we loaded in, I'd say, okay, come and find me before the show's over. And then, when they would come and find me and let me know they were there, I said, okay, the first thing that you do when the lights go off at the end of the show, you go up on that stage and you bring me Ed's guitar or Ed's microphone stand with all the picks attached. Don't let anybody take them. And I'll take care of you guitar picks wise, you know, from there. Right. Well, at one point, it was brought to my attention that management was seeing these things being sold on eBay for three, four, five, six hundred $600 a piece. And where are these guitar picks coming from? Because there are obviously the the person that's selling them has multiples of them. Mm. It's like, okay, I don't know what's going on here because I carry Ed's picks with me like a little old lady carrying her purse, you know, in, in the hood.
0: Coming out of bingo with your winnings.
2: Yeah, you know, well, one, one, this, this goes on, and, and I'm kind of suspect here. You know, this isn't good. I don't like yeah. this at all. I'm, I'm not happy about this. And uh, one day I'm sitting at dinner and catering, and one of the video guys comes up to me and he says, I know where your guitar picks are going. Really? He said, Yeah. We, we used to strike all the microphone stands to the drum riser. And then there was a big scrim cloth that that covered the, the drum riser and then at the beginning of the show that would go straight up in the air. Mm. But all of the all the microphone stands with all the picks on them would go on the drum riser and then the scrim would come down. Oh, well, the video guy informed me that nobody knew it. But that day, he had installed a video camera pointing straight down at the drum set. and. One of one of the guys on the crew was waiting for everybody to go to dinner and then he'd sneak up there and, and take guitar picks off of Ed's mic stand.
0: Son of a bitch.
2: Yep. And I, I found him right after dinner. and I said, OK, I know what's going on. And if you don't want to go home tonight, you stop because you're going to cost me my job and I'm not having it, dude. Yeah. Man, Sorry, you know, I I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean any harm. He's like, yeah, well, you're making, you're making twelve, eighteen hundred dollars a week more than the rest of everybody in your department by selling Ed's guitar picks.
1: Yeah. Wow. You know, Insider I, trading. That's damn, that is
0: so much gossip and drama. Yeah, why is he not fired on the spot?
1: Honestly,
2: exactly. like, why is he not fired on the spot? Because. I just didn't think that it was that big a deal. Okay.
1: And also the the, the tour is so big that to bring somebody else in becomes a a bigger pain in the ass.
2: I didn't want to get, I didn't want that. I didn't want it to, to, I didn't want to beat that guy. You know, I would rather address the issue myself and say, okay, you have one chance to correct this. And if you don't, then.
1: Right. And as a bonus, you can hold it over his head for the rest of the tour over his head. I should say not over his head. Hey, by the way.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: you know, the, <laughs> a little blackmail never hurts.
0: Yeah what the yeah. What does Ed do when uh, he gets you know when you go into the dressing room and say Ed, listen, we just got told by production you got to stop throwing guitar picks out into the crowd. Does he say, well, "I'm Eddie Van Halen, I want to do whatever the fuck I want"? Like, you know, how does how does how does how does he, how does he react to that?
2: I don't, I don't, I would have no idea because that wouldn't come from me. That oh, would okay. come from his personal manager. You know, I'd my. My job with my job with an artist is to make sure that they're happy when they walk on the stage, and or if they're happy when they walk on the stage, that they stay that way. Mm. If they're not happy when they walk on the stage, that they're happy when they walk back off.
4: You That's know? a question for Marty Hom to answer there. <laughs> yeah. Hey Tom, was it you or Jim Service who used to super glue Ed picks down
2: on the uh, the floor on your case for stagehands to try to try to pick up? <laughs> That probably would have been Jim. That wasn't me. That wasn't me. But that sounds, that sounds like beef. A lot of good entertainment. watching That's that. That's hilarious. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. I forgot about that. Here's I another
0: that. here's another really stupid, nerdy question. I know we're coming up to two hours. And guys, thanks so much for doing this. Like this is they're yeah. having a blast. This is fun, right?
2: Right. We can do this for days. Yeah. yeah. This but, is this, this this is episode one.
1: Yeah, that's one. what I'm thinking. Yeah. 2 maybe. hours of episode 1 and then we'll we'll keep going and uh, yeah.
4: Yeah. It's great. If we get if we get Jim Service and John Douglas in on this, this could go for weeks. Oh, we
0: it's should do that. We'll sure. do the Van Halen Van Halen special, you know, 2015 Absolutely. reunion. I'm in. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Uh, Tom, here's a here's a really stupid question and I okay. So, on that 07 tour, Ed was using a cable. And then he switched to wireless. Correct. What was the deal with that cable and then eventually going to into wireless? Because that thing, it just seemed like it was giving him nothing but problems on stage.
2: Yeah, those and that that brings up another great, another great story.
0: See, Mitch, it's a good thing you brought me here today. We're getting great stories.
2: Yeah, 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 we're good. Yeah, yeah. these things were, were these things were my everyday. You know, yeah. I didn't give it a second thought because this is my day. You know. Yeah, but for um, us
0: fans, us weirdos, we're like, oh, cable. You know.
2: Yeah. Those those cables were. I was instructed that those cables were to be forty three feet long. No longer, no shorter. 40. And. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's EVH cable. You know, the same thing that you would you would buy. Okay. And then. From I think it was there was a supplier in Chicago. You 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 noticed that the 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 uh, the cables had yellow stripes. Yeah, it
0: was yellow and black.
2: Right. Well, it's it's basically a black cable with a yellow shrink tube on it. They call that the
1: striper cable, by the way.
2: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. But I I had to I, I replaced those cables every three shows. So you can imagine how many of them I ended up having to make at 43 feet long and putting each piece of shrink tubing on from one end all, all the way to, you know, from one end to the other, six inches of yellow, six inches of black, six inches of yellow. six. Oh, inches my of black. God. Now, yeah, it's a lot. It was a lot of work on top of what I normally did every day. But I got to a point in the tour where I called, uh, I'm, I'm thinking the company was GEPCO in Chicago. And uh, I'm ordering more yellow shrink tubing. Mm. They're out of the yellow shrink tubing. <laughs> All they had, you know, the closest they could give me was white. So I order a, a roll of white. Mm. So I make. I I I had to tell. I had to tell, tell Ed. I said, I couldn't get yellow shrink tube. I had to go with white. Um, and okay, you know, we'll we'll go ahead and make cables. Well, the first the first night with the, the white shrink tubing at, at the end of the show, and I'm not sure if he was serious or not. He come he came off the stage and he said, You still got the you still got the the, the cables with the yellow stripes on them? I said, Yeah, I've got I've got some of the old ones. He said, They're fine, right? I said, Yeah. he, he said, I think they sound better. <laughs> and of course, I'm not gonna say anything other than all right sir i'll take care of it you know <laughs> because i'm not gonna go, i'm not gonna look at look at him and go seriously because and, and he probably laughed all the way to the dressing room thinking he thinks yeah. i'm serious
0: yeah but, do you think he was fucking with you or was he like you know
2: who knows sound- <laughs> you know you, you you never know when to take an artist seriously when something sounds really outlandish yeah and 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 ed had i remember on the 2015 tour we were doing line check one day and i'm standing that's for the folks that don't don't know what line check is that's when the text tech the chest check the instruments for the audio guys to make sure everything's working before sound check right Um, you don't want to be finding a problem when the artist goes to play the instrument the first time And I'm playing Ed's guitar and I'm I'm on channel two of the 5150 head, and that's his signature distortion sound. Here we go. And I'm playing along and it sounds great. And all of a sudden it switches to the clean channel. I was like, um that's interesting. So I look down and I I hit the foot pedal to chant back to channel two. And I keep playing, and all of a sudden it switches to the clean channel. I was like, oh man. Ed's going to be here in 20 minutes, and this is the last thing I need. This rig has performed flawlessly. And now I've got some bug that I've got to troubleshoot or change him out to the backup head and tell him he's playing the number two head today. And I'm just really not looking forward to the rest of my day. And out of the corner of my eye, I see something moving. And I turn over to I turn towards my workbox and he's crouched down behind it, peeking around the corner, laughing his ass off. He's back there <laughs> switching the, the, the amp, you know, screwing with me. And it's just like, oh, man, you know, and right now, the one thing that I wish more than anything else is that he just poke his head around the corner and say, gotcha. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd give anything I own for that
0: so yeah oh that's just so amazing oh what a great story
2: well
0: what a man
1: lots of great great stories that's why we need a part two and a part three and a part four and and by the way not just van halen we got to i'm interested in how different is the whole setup between Ariba mcintyre and like just in terms of a country artist versus a rock artist is it just a guitar is a guitar and you off you go or is it a whole different mindset is that a whole different you know so there's a lot of stuff to explore, and and of course, uh, Bob Seger, and who who else, who else have you done, Tom? And i Greg, Greg, I want to ask you too. Who, like, what are some of like, you know, the the top three that are? I mean, you know, over here we got Eagles and Van Halen and Foreigner. I mean, th- thank you. I'm done.
0: That's, and Shakira. That's, Greg was on with Shakira.
1: Oh, Greg did Shakira too. Yeah, oh, I miss I missed that. Oh, well, there mm-hmm. uh, with Brian Ray who played guitar in her albums. Uh, but but Tom, who who are the like the that's sort of like the top five that we just go. Oh, fuck. Okay.
2: Well, when it comes to, see, I, I started out as an audio guy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was, I was audio crew for, uh, I've done shows with Bob Seger, uh, Ted Nugent, Ronnie Montrose, uh, you know, for, I didn't become, I didn't become a guitar technician until 94. Oh. And my first, I, I was, I I had, I had come off the road. Um, I literally, I, I had gotten a call from a country artist named John Barry, who was one of my favorite people. He wanted me to go out. And my, my son had come into the world, you know, a couple of years earlier and I had missed a lot and I decided to come home. And John called and he wanted me to go on the road with him and I had turned him down and, I got a call to do a, a run with Deep Purple. And I turned that down and you know, I stayed home and I put the guitar shop together. And uh, I, had some, I had some guys working for me and I got a, a voicemail message for, uh, from the production manager for a band called Blessed Union of Souls, which was a, a pop band in the, the early mid nineties. And they're out of Cincinnati. And the, the voicemail was basically, you know, we're looking for a guitar tech Um, you know wonder if you know anybody and uh, I called him back and I got his voicemail and I said you know Scotty I said you know, give me the particulars I might be interested I'd never given one thought uh, you know as an audio guy I never gave one thought even being a guitar maker to doing backline right Uh, Mm. never crossed my mind And, uh, and I thought I bet I could do that and he called me back about an hour later and he says dude I never thought we'd get you he said it doesn't pay enough he said let me let me call the guitar player and see if if he's okay with me calling the record label and getting more tour support let me see if i can put together a budget that's worth you know having you come out and he called me about an hour later and he he said dude guitar players ecstatic the record labels with it you know i can pay you this much a week and that was the beginning of that and i went from I went from Blessed Union of Souls to Ronnie James Dio to Poison to Bill wow. Corgan. Um, wow. There's really not a long list of people that I've done guitars for because I go back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Nine Inch Nails, Reba, Van Halen, uh, you know, Matchbox 20. That's pretty much the long list for me.
1: That's and great. I must I, you must have been on the tours because I, I saw Ted Nugent like in 79-80. So if you were way way back then, I I must have seen I stuff that you were doing.
2: I might have been running around somewhere. So yeah, yeah intensities
1: in 10 cities, right? Recorded in Montreal. So
2: there you go. Yep. Greg, it's, what about um, you? Who have you
0: who have you been on the tour, like on the road with, like aside from the ones that we've already mentioned?
4: Oh um, some of the American Idol kids and- Nice. I did this three years with, uh, it was a Michael Jackson Cirque du Soleil thing after Michael died.
0: I saw that. I went to the premiere at the Bell Center
4: in Montreal. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I lived in Montreal most of that summer. That was an intense show, intense production.
1: And a great city, so you must've had a great summer.
4: Yeah. a shame you didn't know us then. I know. Yeah, I learned all about the Poutine.
0: Puts in, he said it right, Mitch. He's a certified, you know what? You're an honorary Montrealer for saying it right. He said it right. I
4: like
0: it. The Schwartz's. The Schwartz's
1: Deli. Yeah. 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 See?
0: But, uh, and. Hold on, Mitch. Let me, uh, let me just ask one more, you know, Van Halen thing before we kind of wrap up. Because we're coming up to two hours here. And so the 2015 tour, obviously it was in support of Tokyo Dome live in concert. Now, everybody talks about the sound of that album, and it almost sounds like as if it was like a bootleg in a way because of the way that it was mixed in post. And I went to two shows on the uh, the 2012 tour when they did that tour, and whoever was doing Front of House did a freaking phenomenal job like it sounded so good. Like Al's drums just sounded monstrous and like the compression and like his snare and everything. It just like, it was just so well done and Ed's guitars and knowing as a fan, what Van Halen sounds like live. And then when I put that album on, when it came out or when the first single, it it almost sounded like an audience recording. It sounded so weird. You know, why do you guys think that that album sounds the way it does versus what we'd get every night or even board tapes that have you know leaked on YouTube from that tour. So,
4: uh-oh. A, I'm
3: uh-oh.
2: gonna let Greg go first on that one.
4: No, I, I I really don't have an answer for that. I all I can say is Greg Price mix mixes Van mixed Van Halen and phenomenal. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. To the Tokyo thing yeah I'll, I'll
2: defer to others on that oh
1: I, I hear plead the fifth going on here
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> well the, the, the good part for me is that I wasn't on that tour in, in 2012 I was working with Reba making a ridiculous amount of money and we oh. had we had we had 14 months worth of work booked and I was already doing it when that tour came into to being so
3: okay I,
2: I didn't make that one but it was really kind of it was kind of funny because I was on my way home um, in 2015 from doing a one-off with Reba, and, or, and uh, I'm running to catch an airplane uh, in Dallas uh, Fort Worth Airport, mm-hmm. and I got a I got a text message from Adam Adam Reaver, and it just said, "Having a nice day," and I'm thinking. I'm running to catch an airplane. I, I don't know. I guess I'm having a nice day. I'll call him later. You know, I didn't return the message or anything. Right. Just put my, you know, my, just put the phone back in the, the pouch and I'm hustling to my airplane. And a, a, a few seconds later, my phone rings and I didn't, I didn't stop to look and see who it was. I just picked it up and said, hello. And I hear Tom, guess who? <laughs> It, it, it's 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 ed van halen <laughs> i know who it is I said, what can i do for you sir he said well yeah i just want I, I just we're we're putting a little tour together and he said i just wanted to i just wanted to, to 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 see if you'd come back to work for me i said he said i'm not near as as much of an asshole as i was last time he says you know now that i'm clean and sober he said uh, It'll be a lot more fun. I said, I said, you know, I've, I've never had a problem, but I'd be more than happy to give it a shot with a new guy, you know, <laughs> you good? great. He says, you know, I have management call you and 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 we'll get everything set up. Awesome. I said, I'm running to catch an airplane. So I'll, I'll talk to you real soon. And of course I hang up the phone and now Adam's text of having a nice day, you know, makes sense. Right. Like, they literally had to like, put weights on me to get me through the door of the airplane because i'm i'm walking three feet off the ground you know yeah. at that point it's like holy crap ed van halen called me to ask him ask me to come back to work for him you know personally like yeah! <laughs> damn
0: that's the best that that
1: definitely gets the double yeah that. oh yeah
2: yeah, yeah. well and i heard i heard um they were sitting uh Ed and Matt and Adam were sitting together and the question came up, you know, who should we have, you know, tech for Ed and, and Matt basically jumped right in and said, well, Tom Weber should come back. Uh, You know, he deserves to come back. And, uh, and Adam says, well, I've I've got his, I've got his number right here. You want me to call him? And Ed, Ed, uh, Adam told me that Ed said, nah, I'll, I'll call him myself. And I thought, how cool is that? you know so that's just
3: awesome
2: i felt really good that day and i feel i feel just as good today you know telling the story as i as i did getting the phone call so huh.
1: and how cool was this today it's all very cool
2: absolutely awesome. absolutely there's there's never a bad t- day to tell van halen stories Nope. You no know? well,
0: nope. every day is van halen appreciation day in this house yep.
1: and <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll add in foreigner appreciation day it's a big 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 band for me, so yeah, double oh doing. Yeah. Yeah. Two on. classic bands, and by the way, Foreigner. Foreigner need to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. I mean, we. They yeah. just. Uh, you look at some of the bands that they that they're putting in this year, and you go, listen. They had two albums or three albums. Foreigner have had.
4: The, you know, that's uh, yeah. discussion. Over you eighty know? million. Yeah, gold, etc. Yeah. And their
1: first five albums. For those who don't remember were top five on Billboard's uh, Hot 100. So the first five, the first five in the top, not top 10, not top 20, top five. First five albums are top five. Yeah. Oh, no, They didn't influence anybody. Nobody knows who they are. Oh,
0: sure. Yeah, sure, right. Before we wrap up, I just got one more question for Greg. Yeah. Because Tom talked at the beginning that you know, you had to invest in this whole brand new touring kit and brand new tools and workboxes and everything. When it comes to you and the technology that you bring to a tour, do you have to supply the computers and all that stuff, or is it given to you from the tour?
4: Well, the Van Halen rig was, I, I put together from scratch. Now, do uh, you have to pay for that, and it's yours, or is it the tour's? Correct, it's mine. Uh, however other every everything's different with the eagles i walked into a pre-existing rig Mm. and used that for a few years and then slowly started to customize or change things make it more comfortable but yeah more often than not it's your own investment your own tools of the trade and Mm. expensive.
0: yeah because i mean you know if you have to spend 50 grand on a kit well i mean okay you own it but at the same time it's like well shit i hope i can pay this off like is the case like As the case in Tom, you know,
4: it's crazy. I'll tell you what, though, I've been thrown into a few tours. Someone leaves midstream, gets fired, has to health reasons, whatever. And it can be very unpleasant when you jump into uh, someone else's system. Mm -hmm. Speaking of playback rigs, um, I remember one MD said to me, you can use our rig or if you want to bring your own in, you're perfectly welcome to do that. Uh, And I'll never forget the words better you swing with your own sword and that's that's what i've chosen that's what
1: i tell my wife every night
4: (laughs) (laughs) what uh what
0: program do you use for playback live is it pro tools are you running virtual dj like how does that work
4: Well, I've been a a Motu, digital performer guy, for pretty much my whole career. I owe that to Mike McKnight, who got me really... I was with Keyboard Magazine for 15 years before I got on the road. Mm. I knew Mike through Keyboard Magazine, and he brought me in. He's a Motu guy. I I was a Pro Tools guy before that. I learned it. It's solid. Many. I I won't bore you with it now, but that's what I used on the Van Halen tour. Pretty much every... Eagles, every big tour I've done has been with... uh, Motu, with 2. So then, does does that come out multi-track, and
0: then at the at the monitor console, you know, Jerry can, you know, if, if Al wants Calibut, like it's all multi-track, and then he has the
4: options. That is correct. It's yeah, a lot of channels coming okay. out. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right. So then, when it goes to house in front of house, you know, he doesn't get you know like the click track or the the cues and stuff. That's correct. Okay. Cool. Very cool. There was one more thing I was going to ask you about that. Um, damn, I forget now is about uh playback.
1: Well, we can um, uh, we we
4: we, we can try to save it for the next time but uh... I'll, I'll just I'll end with one quick story. Uh yeah. Al, Al and yeah. I had this little cue worked out to start his drum solo. He would freestyle for a minute and when he was ready to hear the count off from me, he would nod. And usually it was great. I could always see the obvious nod and off we went. One night he he didn't nod and I just I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And he's going extra long. And I'm thinking, boy, well, okay, this is unusual. I'm just going to hang, hang tight and wait for the nod, which never came. Hmm. Finally, he <laughs> looks over, like, you know, what the hell? Oh, and I start the thing. So we talked about it the next day. And he's like, yeah, I was nodding. I'm like, I'm so sorry I I didn't see you nod. But it was kind of cool because he improvised longer than ever. And I I loved it. Right. (laughs) Tom or Greg, do
0: either of you have any like board tapes from that tour? No, no. No? You didn't take anything home with you like as memory or souvenir, like nothing on a hard drive and you slap it
4: on. No, Greg, Greg Price recorded every show. Uh, so he's the keeper of that or he and But management.
1: I'm sure management keeps a, a tight lid on that where you got to catalog oh, everything. and correct. Right. Yeah. They, yeah. Because oh, yeah. they, they don't want no, no bootlegs running around.
0: That no. is correct. Right. Mm. Nice. I can't remember my question now. But anyways. Well, oh, we
1: just—we need to get the phone number of that guy that has all the tapes. That's—that's that's, that's
0: what we. Yeah, we got to get Greg Price on here talk about how he EQs and compresses <laughs> Alex's snare sound. Do either of you know anything about Alex's snare sound? By the way,
4: there's some great stuff on YouTube you can watch about yeah. that.
2: Right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's it's a like, that's that's a good ex, good excuse to get John Douglas on the show as well. Yeah, let's yeah. bring him on. Let's go.
0: Yeah, but he's super cryptic, too, about it. Like, whenever he does interviews, like, oh, it's just Al, and he's got his thing. I'm like, no, no, it's way deeper than that. Come on now.
1: (laughs) It's all right. Bring him on. We'll we'll crack that nut. We're good at this stuff.
0: Before we wrap up, I just want to go back to Ed's tone really quickly. When you hear Van Halen live, you know, how much of the wet signal is going through the PA versus the dry? And does Ed tell, you know, Greg – Hey, I want this and that's it. Or is, is he allowed to, you know, artistically decide, okay, I'm gonna have the wet and you know?
2: Well, I think that that I think that Greg, Greg Price, I think Greg Price was given a lot more leeway than a lot of engineers might have been given mm. because of his reputation and his ability to to mix a, a band to its fullest potential. Yeah. Um there are, you know, with any band, there are parameters that, that are to be lived within and Van Halen would be no exception. You know, Ed would be, Ed's the first guy to walk off the stage and walk out to front of house to let somebody know if he's not happy about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't see a lot of that, you know, with, the, with Greg Price at, at the helm, uh, there, there's not a, there wasn't a need for it, mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, and I, I'd been out front and Ed's tone was Ed's tone, even at front of house. You know, I had no complaints. i had no complaints. So it just, uh, you know, pricey got to be pricey and and uh, and everybody was all the better for it.
0: So I just thought of something. Okay. So you were on the 2007.
2: It's gonna be the three hour, uh, the three I, hour you know, episode.
0: I just thought of something talking about front of house. Oh, this is great. Okay. So the infamous monitor throwing video.
2: <laughs> okay. what happened well ed was having a tough time hearing what was going on and he i think i'm not sure if he had an ear infection at the time but something was hampering his his ability to to keep with al um he wasn't hearing drums the way that he needed to mm. so you'll notice in that video he was playing very close to the the drum riser yeah And he had had Jerry put together. uh, uh, He had Jerry put a, a wedge somewhat behind him. Okay. And he turned his head to look at Al or to look at me. I think it was to look at Al. And that turning of his head changed, you know, the alignment of the microphone with the speaker behind him and create the feedback that, that actually um, ruptured his eardrum. Oh. And that's where that whole thing came from. It wasn't anything that, the, that, that Jerry did. It was, you know, Ed, they, he wanted that thing loud and they, they, they got it loud and he just turned his head just right and it fed back um, just because of the, the physical environment changed with the angle of his head and it hurt him and that's when he took the monitor and threw it off the stage and i think you know they they talked it out after the show and it's like dude i didn't change anything you know you when you turned your head it must have just set it off and they were fine you know but i was glad he wasn't throwing a monitor at me
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is good because that's who i thought because everybody talks about it online like oh i wonder what his guitar tech did or whatever
3: you all got the blame nothing
1: (laughs) i do nothing
0: that's, know, great. Man. That's awesome. Yeah. There you go. Well, hold on. Hold on. One, one more thing just to go back. It, to... By the way,
1: you know, he's 26 years old because the rest of us, our shoulders and back is, are starting to seize. At least mine is. <laughs> yet this guy is still right. I'm just like, I just... Oh, I need a massage. But yeah, keep going, young kid. We'll, we'll, we'll just was... sit here while our backs cr- crank. Cr- one cr- more
0: cr- thing just to go back to our talk about the whole the cable thing. So right. you said his his cable was specifically 43 feet long. Do you know
2: why? Nope. <laughs> it was just that was his number. That I was the, to, there. I don't know that there was a reason for it, but
1: superstition, we'll say.
2: There yeah. you go. Know.
0: And then, oh, and yeah. then why, and then why did he switch over to wireless? He, he was just tired of using the cable, or was there a tone reason?
2: Well, there was, they had no more yellow wrap. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. You know, the, the, no, the, Mitch, the cable, there's,
0: there's a difference.
2: The, the cable was definitely an issue. And you know the scariest part about about that whole uh, situation was um, Ed went to Wireless and In-Ears on the same day. Oh, so, oh yeah, oh, that's exactly how I thought about it. But I had I had uh, I I talked him into trying Wireless between Matt Bruck and myself. We had, we had told him that you know, wireless has come so far and the tone for, for guitar is going to be as accurate as you're going to get. And there'll be no more cable, you know, mm-hmm. for you to trip on or, you know, get wound up in, in, in pedals. Uh, it, it was just uh, yeah. going to be easier. Let's, let's try it. So we tried the, he tried everything at soundcheck and, uh, you know, had new in-ears made. And Jerry brought him some, you know, new set of Layla's and, and, uh, made for him and and they got a mix together at soundcheck and you know i was sweating bullets for that show because it's like man this is the common this could be the perfect storm of holy crap i don't ever want to have a day like that again right and uh, they played the show and you know the reason for in-ears was that you know the monitor rig for dave in in the on the 2015 tour evolved into um an onstage pa i mean there were wedges and side fills and if you if you look at some of the, the 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 video um i'm not sure when it came into play there were literally full range pa hangs on either side of the stage yes
0: along, that's right range. i do remember
2: yeah pointing at the stage yeah and it was, was like there it, was like line yeah. arrays yeah it was so loud that you couldn't hear ed's guitar And that's when Ed finally switched to in-ears. Yep. So he could hear himself and be, and be not, you know, the the, the important thing about in-ears and and I'm I'm sure Greg will will back me up on this. It's great to be able to have a monitor mix, but it's also equally important to shelter yourself from what's going on on stage like that. With in-ears, you can, you can, you've got earplugs in. If you turn, if you turn your feet off, you've got earplugs. So you can bring in, what you need and protect yourself from what is potentially harmful at the same time. And that's the feeling, you know, that we, 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 we got from Ed was that I need to be able to hear myself accurately, but I need to get myself. There's no place on this stage for me to hide from Dave's vocal. And I can't hear my own guitar.
0: I mean, to be fair, there was nowhere for anybody in the arena to hide from it either. So
2: no, no, there's that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Though it's funny, Mitch and I we went to see Kiss and David Lee Roth open, and I noticed that about the stage, he had full PA, like as if he would like like a wedding DJ setup, like subs and tops on both sides. I'm like, there's a full PA on the stage, so it had to be loud.
4: Oh yeah,
2: yeah. That's Ooh. a
4: whole other whole other story.
2: <laughs> well, guys, tell I have it if to you go. Want.
4: I gotta go, guys let's let's wrap it up
1: thank you greg for joining us thank you tom and uh there we go we we will do more on it because there's there's a lot of great stories a lot of great stories
2: i just i just want to say thank you to to you guys for for bringing greg in i haven't seen him in forever i love him to death i wish we could tour again um i i i want to i want to say uh i want to say thank you to sandy espinoza who's the, the lady who put the gofundme together for me and her program, which is called roadiecare.com. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody check that out. Um, she's working really hard to, to make sure that the people that are close to falling through the cracks, you know, have something to, to, to look forward to. Um, so all of that fun stuff. If you guys would do me a favor and, and look that up. And if there's any way that you can, you know, toss it out there for people to see and hear about. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> it's, easy. it's going up everywhere as soon as this is done.
2: Right. Outstanding. She's she's literally trying to save people's lives at this point. Yeah. God bless her. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Let's do it again. Anytime you want to let me know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This was awesome. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Thanks, Greg. This is this is great. This is super fun. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Normally we throw
1: the guests off after 20 minutes, but look at that. We kept it for two hours and 20 minutes.
0: There you go. You guys are stars.
1: Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank, thanks, you, thank you, Greg.
4: Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. It was great.
1: Cheers. Take care. All right.
3: Cheers.